Blog Talk Radio.
have been touring the world in an attempt to break stereotypes and educate others about the history of their people. Their leader and narrator, Mark Tyak, is the son of a 28th generation Piscataway chieftain. When his father passes, it will be his turn to lead his tribe. During a ceremonial war dance, James Edwards displays the American Indian virtue of mercy by not striking his target. Steve Conway demonstrated what is called a men's grass dance. These were often used by American Indians to flatten grassy plains before making camp. Here Eagle Boy Co. leads sophomore elementary education and engineering major Melissa Zichkowski in a rabbit dance, traditionally done by couples. Conley took the stage yet again to demonstrate a ring dance, an age-old tradition of forming shapes with rings, things like eagles, turtles, and the world. Co. performed an eagle dance, while Tayek explained the origin of the term Indian as it is used to describe Native Americans. The term came from Columbus, who, after being taken in by natives, affectionately dubbed them Indios, Spanish for In God.
a negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or European. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans, the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negro. A negative attitude towards... We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. We are commemorating and celebrating 65 years of African Liberation Day and 75 years of Palestine and Lockbox Day. We welcome you to this special day as we continue to celebrate and build this institution, African Liberation Day, and we are honored to be able to play a part towards working towards that goal by being a co-host and working along with and under the direction of the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC as they put on this particular annual celebration every year. So at this point in time, what we would like to do is first and foremost, let all of our invitees, when you call in on the board, please make sure you hit one. And if you have a new number that was not registered, I will call out your last four numbers and we will ask you to introduce yourself. At the same time, what we're going to do right now is we're going to celebrate. We're going to give you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation, and we're going to introduce you to various organizations. 
because information without organization is useless. Organization is the tool that make all things possible. So on that note, we'd like to thank you for tuning in on Africa on the Moon. You can tune in on every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But today is a special program. We are celebrating African Liberation Day, Palestine Embargo Day. So on that note, we like to pray what I would call my co-host and a representative of this political party that is putting this particular beautiful day on an event. That's the AAPRPGC. We will bring in Representative Brother Inwalamu Kita at this point in time, and he would like to give you a formal welcoming on behalf of the all African peoples representing the party GC. Brother Walamu, the mic is yours. Uh, we thank you for uh, allowing us to uh, work with you uh, in regards to the various African Liberation Day uh, activities that uh, we've organized this month. Uh, I'd like to welcome those who are listening uh, to our African Liberation Day program. Um, is our goal to make a contribution to the struggle of of our people for uh, an Africanism. Um, an African Liberation Day for us is is is, a, is for building organization. It's for educating our people. Uh, it's for building relationships with other. Um, movements and organizations, African and international. And so we are very grateful for the opportunity to share and, and debate and discuss with our people and our friends. And so we wel- welcome you to the uh, 61st uh, commemoration of 65th comm- commemoration of African Liberation Day and the uh, 75th uh, commemoration, celebration, not really celebration of the occupation of Palestine. Um, It is very important to understand that uh, as Africans, we also have to be in principle of solidarity with other peoples who are oppressed by capitalism and imperialism. And uh, Zionism is the enemy of Africa and African people, but right now, it is committing genocide against the Palestinian people and occupying their land. And so we are in solidarity with uh, Palestine Day and the Palestinian Revolution for the liberation of Palestine. And we thank you all for, again, for joining us today for African Liberation Day and Palestine Day. We thank you. And on that note, as Brother Wallamu mentioned, we will be having various organizations coming to speak. And right now, what we're going to do is start out in Mother Africa. We have with us Sister Celine Nayo from Cameroon. She's going to introduce herself, make a statement, and talk about some of the work that she's doing in Cameroon as a political organizer. Sister Celine, welcome to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. Yes, Celine. Sister Celine. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My fellow African women and men in America and in the diaspora, I am happy to be in your midst this morning. In Cameroon, it's in the afternoon. 
but I know in America it's in the morning. I'm so happy to be a part of this program this year. Thank God for the gift of life that we are still alive to fight for African liberation. I I want to say that it's not easy to work for liberation. Liberation is something that needs it needs wisdom, it needs power, it needs strength. And I want to say that if African Liberation Party can form a coalition of a liberation movement that can fight for the liberation of Africa from the wars that Africa is inside. We have wars that are going on in Africa, all over Africa countries. There are so not very few, there are so very uh, few countries who are not in war. We cannot fight liberation inside war. Without peace, we cannot achieve what we need in the building of Africa, in the building of one Africa, in the building of uniting Africa together. So my cry for this year is that we can build a liberation force that can go into Africa to look for peace, to fight for peace in all the African countries so that African countries can unite and become one. And if we are united, we'll be able to achieve all that we want to do in Africa. Africa will be able to develop. But with war, there is nothing that can go on in Africa smoothly. There's nothing. We have been in crisis in Cameroon now for about five years. And with crisis, what type of development can go on without peace? There's no development that can go on any way without peace, in any continent without peace. If we want development, if we want liberation, then we need to stop wars, even in the Palestinian that you are saying. If Palestinians, they need peace. If they need to be liberated, then they should stop fighting. Because you cannot be fighting every day and then you say you want liberation. It's peace that can bring liberation. It's peace and love that can bring every development that we want on this earth. And we should start stop thinking only on ourselves. If you start thinking on others as you think on yourself, we will be able to bring liberation in any country that we want. We'll be able to live the life that we want on this earth. It's not easy for the work that we are doing in Cameroon, with the women in the Cameroon, with the children, because of war. It's very difficult. We are inside, and that's why I'm pleading that we need to stop war in Africa because war only destroys, it does not build. And I want to thank God for the leaders of African Liberation Party for the good work that they have been doing in Africa. I'm following most of your programs because your president is always forwarding what he's doing in Cuba in other countries, the work that they are doing. I thank you very much. 
And I pray that God will continue to strengthen you for the liberation of the Af- African people, wherever they are. I pray that God will give you people the desires of your heart, your heart desires, so that you'll be able to achieve what you have been fighting for, what you are thinking for, what you are looking for to happen in Africa at home and abroad. Thank you people very much. Especially Sister Robinson. You are doing a great job. God bless you. Sister Celine, can you give the name of your organization how people can get in contact with you if they want to support your work? Okay. The name of my organization is called Mundani Believing Women Roots and Tubas Cooperative. We are a cooperative. We are fighting for the rights of the women, the rights of the children, and the education of the children. I also do politics. I am a member of the Southwest Regional Assembly, so I am a regional councillor. So the work for the women is not easy. My phone number is plus two three seven six seven seven three three two one four five. My email address is Naya Celine. N A Y A H Celine C E L I N E at yahoo.co.uk. The email address of my organization is abute11 at gmail.com. Abute is A B U H T E H 11 at yahoo.com at gmail, yahoo.gmail.com. That is our email addresses. Thank you very much. And we thank you, Celine, for your contribution to today's African Liberation Day, Palestine, and Knockback Day, and um, continue to fight for Mother Africa. We will win. We thank you. Next, we would like to make a transition with the state of Africa. We're going to the Congo. We have with us Brother Maurice Connie. He's the organizer of Friends of the Congo. As you know, our brothers and sisters have been battling for, for, for so many, so many, so many years, and we've got to put an end to that. So he's going to give us an update on what Friends of the Congo is doing and what's going on in the Congo. This is why this institution is very important. You get the kind of information that you can use as a tool for liberation. So, Brother Maurice, we're going to bring you in right now. Welcome to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. Welcome, Brother Maurice. Uh, peace, peace, Brother Lee. Uh, uh, pleasure, pleasure to be with uh, with you again this year uh, as we uh, commemorate African Liberation Day. <clears throat> Thank you for providing us with the opportunity to uh, share with the uh, participants, the audience, uh, the the centrality and the significance of the heart of the African continent to, to African liberation. Uh, both uh, friends and enemies of Africa recognize uh, the key space that is held <clears throat> by what is called the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Could be called anything really, but 
the heart of the continent is key and strategic. When Larry Devlin, the chief of station of the CIA, uh, overthrew Lumumba, which led to his assassination, uh, he stated in his book uh, of the same name, Chief of Station Congo, that uh, we had to overthrow Lumumba. He said, because if we didn't overthrow Lumumba, not only would we have lost the Congo, but we would have lost all of Africa. Uh, so the, the enemies of Africa are clear uh, about the centrality of the heart of the African continent uh, to the future of Africa. The extent to, to which uh, the Congo is either held back or advanced is the same degree to which the, the continent will be held back or advanced. And Nkrumah and Toure recognize this, uh, especially particularly Nkrumah, Toure, and uh, uh, Keita, where they saw as central to the United States of Africa the Congo, where they, in Lumumba, or Nkrumah in his book, The Challenge of the Congo, laid out how the Congo itself would serve as a capital for the United States of Africa. So what is clear, whether it was 60 plus years ago or today, the part of the continent is central uh, to the future of the continent and also key uh, on a planetary level, on a global level. Uh, the Congo is unique in our history in that it has come under special attack by the colonialists and the imperialists. Uh, we all know the history. Uh, the four out of ten Africans that were trafficked to the Americas coming out of the Congo region, the 10 million Congolese uh, who perished under King Leopold II from 1885 to 1908. And uh, today, the 6 million Congolese who have lost their lives who perish as a result of the pursuit of minerals such as coltan for our cell phones and cobalt for our batteries that we use in our electronic devices and our automobiles. So we uh, are certainly clear uh, about uh, the importance of this uh, space uh, to, to the planet. We're talking about an area that is a part of the second largest rainforest in the world, often referred to as the second lung of the world, uh, the Congo Basin, which sequesters more carbon than all of the tropical rainforests in the world combined. It is home to the largest uh, tropical peatland that serves as a, a carbon sink. And at the same time, as everyone from Elon Musk and Bill Gates, Microsoft, uh, the major auto companies talk about a green transition. That, that, that green transition that they talk about can't happen without Congo's cobalt, who has uh, the, out of all the cobalt in the world that is produced, the other countries don't produce as much as the Congo does. All of them combined don't equal the Congo. So we are, uh, as Africans, uh, we are we have a responsibility uh, to defend the heart of the African continent, particularly because it's under such 
a targeted, a targeted attack. If you look at the way it's ravaged, uh, the United Nations have done a study a number of years ago where they said some 100 plus com uh, companies from all continents are in the Congo trying to get access to its, to its resources. So the affair of the, of the Congolese are not just the affairs of them alone, but of all Africans, uh, because uh, the whole world is in pursuit of the riches that are there and at the expense of the Congolese people. So that's why Friends of the Congo, one of the main reasons why we exist, you know, in the spirit of Friends of Abyssinia, formed by uh, CLR James and Amy Ashford Garvey and, and others in the 1930s. And it's that same type of uh, energy and response that's needed today as our Congo face continues to face uh, an assault uh, by foreign governments, foreign corporations, and as uh, Thomas Sankara would say, agents of neocolonialism, talking about specifically Yari Museveni, of Uganda and Paul Kagame of Rwanda, both of whom had invaded the Congo twice and continued to destabilize the Congo, plunder it on the behalf of global corporations and Western interests. Uh, so that's a new element that's been added in terms of the agents of colonialism uh, joining in the ravaging of the Congo, uh, unlike what we saw uh, coming out of the independence era where uh, independence figures uh, ran to the side of the Congolese to support the Congolese. So that's the appeal that we're making today, uh, the appeal that uh, is enshrined in the last letter of, uh, of Lumumba to his letter uh, when he said uh, to the Congolese, he said, we're not alone. Africa, Asia, free and liberated people from every corner of the world we found at the side of the Congolese. So. We, uh, we call on you to, to respond to, to Lumumba's uh, appeal from the grave uh, that we be found on the side of the Congolese as we struggle for a free and liberated Congo and free and liberated Africa and a free and liberated African world. And thank you, Brother Lee. Thank you, Brother Maurice and friends of the Congo. We thank you very much. Next, we make our transition to Nigeria. That's right, we Africans. We will go wherever our people are. We're going to bring in our brothers and sisters from Nigeria. We have a representative from Movement of the People, Mop, Movement of the People, and I believe, hope I pronounced the brother's name right, Daiko Obono. To my brother, Daiko Obono, we welcome you to African Liberation Day, where you speak to the people and tell us what's going on in your movement, your struggle. The mic is yours. Yeah, thank you very much. Am I audible, please? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can, brother. The mic is yours. Yes, we can. All right, I really appreciate it. My name is DK Obona. DK, my apologies. DK, yeah. He's all right. No, no problems, brother. Um, I'm quite happy to be here to celebrate African Liberation Day and Palestine Nagba Day with you all. I thank you for the privilege to speak amongst my fellow Pan-Africanists and others who, who seek liberation from Western imperialism, neocolonialism, Zionist usurpers, 
capitalism, and all forms of oppression against the common man. I'm a comrade from the Movement of the People, MOP, a revolutionary liberation movement, soon to become a political party. Professor Mowali as, as well for extending the opportunity to the MOP to speak about our struggle, especially the oppressive experiences of our people under the Nigerian state. A most recent case study to express this would be the plight and disturbing experience of our pro tem chairman, Sheung Kuti, in the hands of the Nigerian police. Kindly grant me a few minutes to explain what happened between him and the police. So Sheung Kuti was recently involved in an altercation with a police officer who was driving drunk and almost rammed him and his family off a bridge into a lagoon. The officer pulled off a hit and run and Sheung Kuti chased up with him, caught up with him, and a heated argument ensued. Still high in fight or flight mode, Shemukuti gave the officer a slap to sober him up and make him feel remorse for his actions under intoxication. I should note here that the officer in that scenario wasn't carrying out duties bestowed on him by the state. So Shemukuti was in no way obstructing the law. The reaction is as well protected as a valid response under the Section 284 of the Nigerian Criminal Code Act. Nonetheless, shortly after, if a video hit the Internet showing few seconds of the moment Shemukuti slapped the police officer and not the event leading up to that time. This video went viral and sparked up mixed feelings amongst many people. And as well, there was a call for judicial explanation and redress of the situation. Many expected the process to be just, objective, and timely. But as usual, the reverse was the case. Sheukuti, being a law-abiding citizen, promptly accepted to cooperate with the police investigation into the matter. And he went to the police station himself. From that moment onwards, he was put under arrest and the Nigerian police kicked off a vengeance vendetta against Sheukuti rather than go in search of justice. He was handcuffed, paraded like a common criminal, threatened, jeered at by a host of police officers who carried him around in long convoys of police cars, jubilating as if a notorious or most wanted person had been captured. They put degrading pictures of him on the internet to score back they subjected him to starvation and dehumanization for days. The police took advantage of their power and the law and unduly detained him for a week. Nonetheless, this horrible experience is nothing compared to what Shemukuti's father, the great fella Kuti, went through in the hands of the same Nigerian police force in the 1970s. Fella's home was raided severally. He was arrested, tortured, imprisoned and dehumanized for standing up for truth, liberation, pan-Africanism, for exposing the corruption of the Nigerian government and the mistreatment of the Nigerian people. Shemukuti, who has carried on his father's legacies, met a biased police institution that conveniently left the case at hand and held him as a political prisoner, dehumanized him for his works of liberation through music and more, and also for what the Kuti family stands for, which is saying no to all forms of oppression. 
Nigerians, nonetheless, in the time of Fela Kuti, didn't stand up in solidarity with him as they bought the government's propaganda against him. And they were also afraid of Nigerians today will not make the same mistake. So the movement of the people and other leftist movements quickly mobilized in solidarity with Shemokuti. We organized a protest and brought as much publicity to the injustice Shemokuti was facing in the hands of the police. A record success it was, I would say, my, my brothers, as Shemokuti was released from custody late in the evening on the day the protest, the protest held in Lagos, Nigeria, Abuja, the capital city of Nigeria, and also in London with Professor Omowale taking the lead there. Shemukuti is a man of high social standing and global personality, though he remains humble and connected to the poor masses. His ordeal with the police is minimal, ordinary citizens go through. The Nigerian police and military uniform have become a symbol of oppression and death. Extrajudicial killings, brutality, torture, and extortion. These have the daily experiences of us Nigerians. The Nigerian government has done nothing to curb this because these activities aid the government slash the, politici the politician's intention to rule over the people through fear and victimization for standing up to them. These ill experiences of the Nigerian people, deeply rooted in the political affairs of the country, has led to the rise and the organization of the movement of the people. The movement of the people was originally the creation of the great Afrobeat icon, Fela Kuti. But the Nigerian government denied him the right to officially register it as a political party. Shortly after what we call NSAS protests, in October 2020, this was a youth-led protest countrywide against police brutality. Of course, it sadly ended in more brutality as the protesters were killed in cold blood by the military and the government denied this. Mr. Shemukuti, shortly after this event, revived the movement of the people as a response to the youth's call for good governance and a change of power from the hands of the politicians of the old establishment, who are mere caretakers of neocolonialism, trans-sociocultural, and political imperialism in Nigeria. The MOP, the Movement of the People, is a non-elitist-based movement and political party, with strong Pan-African views on scientific socialism and more. The Movement of the People struggles for the liberation of the lower class, the poor masses of Nigeria. The movement of the people as well stands for the total liberation of the whole of Africa, also Africans in diaspora. Not just that, but also people of the world, such as the people of Palestine, the Kurdish people of Turkey, and other oppressed and marginalized aboriginals around the world. MOP is currently into community organizations, bringing Pan-African re-education to the people. We hold women empowerment programs, prison outreach, and many more activities to raise the political consciousness of the people towards unifying and legally but radically taking back power, 
political power which belongs in the hands of the people. We currently have challenges nonetheless, such as financial challenges for mobilization and the actualization of our project. We as well need more exposure of our organization and its intent to people of like minds around the world. We currently are at the final stages of registering the movement of the people as an official political party. But nonetheless, it is an honor and a privilege to speak amongst you all, distinguished comrades, Myself, Vicky Obona, and the MOP really look forward to further collaborations and the total freedom of our people. In the words of Shemukuti, our pro tem chairman, is popular for saying, they will never see the last revolutionary until our people totally free. Protect comrades. Thank you. And my brother, how can we get in touch with your organization? And support it. Sorry, come again. How can the people get in touch with your organization, the movement, if they want to support it? Well, we have, um, for those based in Nigeria, we've got an account called MOP Support Account. It's, um, it's, it's an account where people could donate from, donate to the movement. We also have um, a support system. I could I could furnish Professor Morley with the details of which he could reach out to you and um, if people want to support us because we can't receive donations directly it would be like a political party can't really receive donations directly so we have um, a charity organization called Community Support and um, through that a, charity organization you could help the MOT. Yeah. Is there an email website where people can find out more information about your organization movement? Can you get our audience yes. an email? Yes, or yes. There, there is. That's what we need. Oh, definitely. There is a website. I would um, I'll just call it out for you in a minute. Yeah. So, just give me two seconds, and I'll get it. Well, I'm waiting for my brother to get this important information. Our next uh, presenter. And we'll be moving from Africa to Haiti. We have coming up to the Zeli Santo, Free Haiti Movement, Haitian Lawyer Gill, and she's going to be sharing her perspective update on Haiti. Yes, my brother, so she's next. So don't you go nowhere. This is African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. The theme for this year is Pan-Africanism. Raising class struggle in Africa and the African diaspora, fighting for one unified socialist Africa. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've we, got it now. Can I? Yes, my brother. Share the information. All right. So that's um, www.mopnigeria.org. www.mop Nigeria.org. You that's our website and a lot of information about us and our ideology. It's on there. And on that note, my brother, we'd like to thank you and give our revolutionary love to the masses of the people, and we'll be working as one. We thank you for making your contribution to today's African Liberation Day and Nakba Day. We thank you. Thank you very much for the privilege.
Thank you. At this time, we're going to Haiti. We're going to ask Sister Zeli Dante. For those who don't know her, she may briefly won't give a brief introduction. She is and Sister Zeli. Welcome to African Liberation Day, Palestine Akbar Day. Thank you. Welcome, Sister. Honor, honor. Can Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Honor and respect. Thank you so very much for recognizing the impact of IT and how we continue to struggle against the colonists and slaver and imperialists today. I am Ezeli Dantor. I run the Ezeli Network, and I'm part of the Free IET Movement. This year, um, in 2021, the United States and the three collaborators that it uses to maintain our containment in poverty and oppression, the Syrian, Lebanese, and Israeli oligarchs who own um, 98% of the health wealth of Haiti, even though they make up less than half of 1% of the population, just a few families brought in by the United States to be the overseers, headed by an Israeli guy from Aleppo who represented the, the Israeli government. His name is Gilbert Bijo. So we have the oligarchs who own all the economic doors in Haiti. And then we have the politicians the black politicians, the House Negroes, the Restavex, the PH Tikapa local party, the Neo Duvalieris, the United States maintains in power so that they can give a black face to all the corruption and all the oppression, while the media and the diplomatic corps shields uh, the U.S. imperialists and the oligarchs that run IET. Why is IET so important? The United States has the largest footprint in the Western Hemisphere in IET. So it has a embassy that is bigger than any other embassy in the Western Hemisphere in tiny IET. But yet it tells the world that we have nothing that it wants, and that our problem is gangs who are so corrupt, they're killing their own, and its hands are clean. The the white oligarchs that are the overseers have nothing to do with what's going on. So at the Free IET Movement and the Ezeli Network, we tell the truth about IET, and we fight from one generation to the other to bring into application the successes of Abderayatoya, Defile, Granditon, Bissalim, all the revolutionaries who first put liberty into application in the Western Hemisphere, not the United States not the European powers. Our naked enemies, the colonists, are 
the U.S.-led core group. Who is the core group? The core group is a group of nations that have combined as a mafia together to maintain the lies and the media pictures of savage IET and to accuse the U.S., the Syrian, Lebanese, Israeli colonists, overseers, murderers, killers, rapists, and of course, the black collaborators. So those are the three things you must understand and that we teach and we struggle to bring to the um, notice of everyone. Recently, uh, on May 18th, all of IT was seen to be celebrating Flag Day. But we at Free Haiti did not celebrate May 18th blue and red as our flag day. We celebrated May 20th for the 1805 Dessalines Constitution. Jean-Jacques Dessalines is our founding father, and he is the greatest hero to ever live. He is the first Pan-Africanist, and we recognize that. We recognize all Pan-Africanists, but he is the first because when Dessalines won our freedom, against the French, the Spanish, and the British, he invited all enslaved Africans to, if they set their foot in IET, he didn't ask them whether they were from the Congo originally or Nigeria or Yoruba or anything. If they, they were enslaved and they were able to get themselves to IET, this was the land of the free. He is the first Pan-Africanist. And for that, I thank you all for recognizing IET and for recognizing that we are part of and our vision is to free Africa, just like uh, Dessalines and Abdaraya Toya, the Dahomean warrior who taught Dessalines, um, or um, Dede Magritte, the, the descendant of the Congo queen Nzenga, who taught who had that war council on August 14th that began the Haitian Revolution. We recognize our connection and intricacies to Africa. We are the amalgamated tribes. We are from everywhere in West Africa, the Congo, everywhere in Africa, and we became one. And we urge Africa to become one because until and unless we stop the infighting, which is brought to us by foreigners, First, the Arabs came to Africa, and then the Eurasians, the Europeans came. And the way they rule is through divide and conquer and pushing ethnic divisions. But in IET, Abdaraya Toya, the Dahomian warrior, Bidi Magritte, the Congolese warrior, uh, descendant of Kempavita and... and um, Queen Nzenga, they knew all was hurt their children. And so these African women, along with the African men, they got together and they looked outwards together. They didn't call themselves Fawn. They didn't call themselves any of the groups that they had come from. They became one. And they took the name of 
the indigenous folks that had been in Haiti and destroyed by the Columbus murderers, Haitian, they became the Haitian. So they lifted up the, and those who don't know, we are original to the planet, to there were blacks in Africa, and Haiti comes from um, a lot of different names that come out of Africa. So black means warriorship, and this is the thing that we were celebrating on May 18th because in his 1805 constitution, Dessalines said that all Haitians shall be known by the appellation black. So we were no longer these divided folks. We became black in Haiti. And in that, even in that space, the reason why we at the Free Haiti Movement and the Anseline Network celebrate the May 20th, 1805 Dessalines Constitution is because he left us a template of what it is to be black. He said a black man is a good husband, a good, a good son, a good uh, father, and above all, what is a black man? A good soldier. Until we are free, and every child of an African is free, we have to be soldiers. I thank you for having me. I thank you for supporting the Free Haiti Movement. And my name is Ezeli Danto. You guys can find me um, at ezelidanto.com. That's E-Z-I-L-I-D-A-N-T-O.com. And, uh, of course, you can find me at Ezeli Danto on Twitter, Ezeli Danto on IG. And we are here to free the black women's children wherever they may be on the planet. We know that they are suffering oppression because of this colorism. And that is all we're going to do. And in this space and in that point, we say to blacks in Haiti that since the death of or murder by the United States and its allies of their own puppet, the, the, the puppet president they had put in, Jovenel Moïse, and he was murdered because he had gone to try to find allies to help break the chain that IET is facing between Cuba and Venezuela. The Russians are in Cuba and Venezuela, and the United States keeps IET as that place where they are surveilling their enemies, and they don't care about the people. The people are just props, and they, they create the gangs. As, as a matter of fact, Bill, um, Gilbert Bijou, all of you should know, this white billionaire of the Caribbean, was sanctioned by the the core group uh, Canada. Remember, I, I didn't mention that the core group is made up of six nations, including Brazil. They had to bring Brazil into it, but it's France, the United States, Spain, Germany. And these folks um, are the ones that run IET. And uh, Canada recently sanctioned the billionaire of the Caribbean, Gilbert Biggio, who lives and has a house in um, Bunker Point, Indian Point in Florida, but runs IET with brutality. Uh, they sanctioned him for financing the gangs, but you'll never know this is a white man. You will never know that the Arabs and the Lebanese and the Syrians were brought in because slavers in the United States wanted to um, mute its racism by having these buffer races come into IET and all over the Caribbean for that matter. And so we say to Canada and all the core group, 
that your time will come. We are here at the Esli Network. We are the descendants of Queen Nzenga and the women of the Haitian Revolution who came in and gathered together the parts that they could and faced outward and beat three European powers. And we are here to do that. We are here to say that every black person deserves self-determination and freedom and economic freedom. On August 14, 1791, when the Haitian Revolution started, our warriors looked to see what was the economic basis for their enslavement. Today, we tell Haitians, what is the economic basis for your oppression? All the ports in Haiti are owned by the Syrian and Lebanese. They're all privatized. All the consulates are privatized in Haiti by these families. Back in 1791, we burnt all the plantations down. They were the spaces we were enslaved. It is time today for the movement in IET. I know that the movement right now is going after the gangs. This is a a, a step, but the next step, the higher step, the most important step is to burn those ports down. It is time to control our economy. It is time to control our mission. And our mission on this planet is to free the black woman's children. Our mission is Pan-Africanist. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Jelly. And the website where they can reach you again? EsliDantal.com and Esli on Twitter, ZiliDantal on IG. And, of course, we are on um, Esli Dantal on YouTube. Again, my sister, we'd like to thank you for your contribution and sharing this important information. As reflect the Institution African Liberation Day. We want to give people information so they can think, hold them to organization, so they can help build these organizations so they can become stronger fighters for the liberation of Mother Africa and African people. Again, my sister, we thank you. And at this point in time, we can move on, and you're talking about information. We're going to bring to you this brother who has information all the time on his radio show, the Pan-African, Pan-African Newswire. We're going to bring in brother, we're going to bring in brother, brother Zikwe, and he can share his thoughts with you as it relates to the work that he is doing. Brother Zikwe for Pan-African News. The mic is yours. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Comrade Brother uh, Lee Robinson. I want to express my appreciation uh, for your invitation uh, to speak uh, to this very important gathering uh, here. Uh, we're lo- looking at six, six and a half decades uh, uh, in the modern world of the struggle uh, to liberate and to, of course, uh, exercise our sovereignty and influence uh, on the African continent and where African people live uh, throughout the world. Uh, I would just wanted to mention uh, that this theme, uh, dealing with the question of class struggle in Africa and throughout the African world, is essential uh, during uh, this time period. Uh, Coming from uh, the city of Detroit, uh, the so-called Motor City, uh, the origin of uh, mass industrial production, uh, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, uh, we understand very clearly uh, the importance of class struggle 
uh, in regard to the struggle for not only national liberation, uh, but also uh, Pan-Africanism and socialism. On May 25th, uh, 2023, uh, it represented the 60th anniversary uh, since the formation of the African Organization of African Unity, uh, the forerunner of the African Union. And 60 years ago, uh, there were over 30 uh, independent uh, African states uh, which held a summit meeting in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, uh, where they agreed to put aside their differences in order to initiate a continental organization. Since the early 1960s, uh, of course, uh, in the early phase of the continental struggle for Pan-Africanism, they emerged two distinct blocks. Uh, they came into existence in the post-colonial period of historical development. There was, of course, the Casablanca group, uh, which was a minority uh, among the African states. Uh, these states consisted of the Republic of Ghana, uh, the People's Revolutionary Republic of Guinea, Republic of Mali, United Arab Republic, uh, commonly known as Egypt, and the Republic of Algeria, among several other states. And they took an anti-imperialist posture in regard to their foreign policy uh, initiatives. Contrastingly, uh, there was the development of the Monrovia Group, which constituted the majority of states, uh, even in the early 1960s, on the continent. They took a far more moderate position uh, in relations to national development and international relations. Developments during the early 1960s witnessed the escalation of the armed struggles for national independence, uh, which took place in Algeria between 1954 and 1962, along with other uh, European-dominated uh, colonies and settler states, such as uh, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, uh, South Africa, Rhodesia, later named uh, Zimbabwe, Southwest Africa, later known as Namibia. Within all these territories, uh, there were armed struggles against uh, settler colonialism and classical colonialism. The overthrow and assassination of the first democratically elected prime minister of the former Belgian Congo, uh, Patrice Lumumba, uh, he was, of course, overthrown during 1960. Uh, he was assassinated in January of 1961. This uh, phenomenon uh, served to heighten the anti-imperialist sentiments among progressive and socialist-oriented political parties and states as well as among the masses of workers, uh, youth, and farmers across the continent. Therefore, from the onset, the Organization of African Unity represented a compromise between the moderate and the anti-imperialist states. And uh, just to touch on uh, some of the uh, ideas uh, that I had um, developed uh, in regard uh, to this topic, I just want to quote uh, from uh, Dr. Uh, Kwame Nkrumah, uh, who uh, in his first book uh, from 1947 entitled Toward Colonial Freedom, Africa's and the Struggle Against World Imperialism, which was reprinted in 1962 when he was president of the First Republic of Ghana. Uh, and Krum identified the economic machinations of European domination as the basis of African oppression and exploitation. In later years, Nkrumah would publish Africa Must Unite 60 years ago which was released at the founding summit of the OAU in May of 1963. He would also publish Consciousism, 
um, philosophy and ideology uh, for independence and liberation, the last stage of neocolonialism, the last stage of imperialism that was published in 1965. And then after the uh, CIA-backed coup in 1966, uh, Krumah moved to Guinea and was appointed as co-president of the Republic of Guinea. And he served in that capacity until his transition in April of uh, 1972. And uh, just to close out, I wanted to uh, read um, a quote uh, from uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah from his book, Class Struggle in Africa, which relates to the theme of this year's uh, African Liberation Day. Nkrumah says uh, in this that the highest point of political action, when a revolution attains its excellence, is when the proletariat, comprising workers and peasants, under the leadership of a vanguard party, the principles and motivations of which are based on scientific socialism, succeeds in overthrowing all other classes. The basis of a revolution is created when the organic structures and conditions within a given society have aroused mass consent and mass desire for positive action to change or transform that society. While there is no hard and fast dogma for socialist revolution, because no two set of circumstances, historical conditions, and circumstances are exactly alike, experience has shown that under conditions of class struggle, socialist revolution is impossible without the use of force. Revolutionary violence is a fundamental law in revolutionary struggles. The privilege will not, unless compelled, surrender power. They may grant reforms, but will not yield an inch. When the basic pillars of their entrenched positions are threatened, they can only be overthrown by violent revolutionary action. And uh, these words, unquote, and these words have been, of course, uh, are very prophetic because these are the developments that occurred uh, all during the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, all the way up uh, to uh, the early uh, 1990s. And another important quote, which I'll close with, uh, from the same book, Class Struggle in Africa, and Krumah says, the African revolutionary struggle is not an isolated one. It not only forms part of the world socialist revolution, but must be seen in the context of the black revolution as a whole. He mentions that in the United States, the Caribbean, and wherever Africans are oppressed, liberation struggles are being fought. In these areas, the black man is in a condition of domestic colonialism and suffers both on the grounds of class and of color. However, Nkrumah specifies that, quote, the core of the black revolution is in Africa. And until Africa is united under a socialist government, the black man throughout the world lacks a national home. It is around the African people's struggle for liberation and unification that African or black culture will take shape and substance. Africa is one continent, one people, and one nation. The total liberation and unification of Africa under an all-African socialist government must be the primary objective of all black revolutionaries throughout the world. Unquote. These observations and conclusions uh, remain elusive but compelling in the third decade of the 21st century. Nonetheless, the existing crisis of capitalism and imperialism provide openings for Africans and other oppressed and exploited peoples to wage a protracted struggle for genuine liberation and socialism. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and once again, 
thanks uh, for your uh, work and your ongoing uh, invitations. And Brother Zikre Abiyani, in terms of your podcast radio program, how can people listen to it and how can they stay in touch and engage with you as well? All right. I have a blog, the Pan-African Newswire, uh, which is at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. The uh, radio program is entitled Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast. And uh, it's broadcast over the Pan-African Radio Network. And you can reach that online by going to uh, the following website, and that's uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash panafricanjournal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash panafricanjournal. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, as well as TikTok. So you can reach me on all those different uh, uh, platforms. And on that note, my brother, we'd like to thank you for your contribution to this year's African Liberation Day. Continue to go forward with back with Nagel. We thank you, brother. Thank you. Next week, we got transition. We're going to bring in the sisters. We're going to bring in over a million woman, March, Shako, and Mako. Our sister, Empress Chi, we are bringing in the Convener family of the million woman, March, Sister Empress. We'd like to greet you to welcome to African Liberation Day in Bar- in Knockbark Day, Palestine Day. Welcome, my sister. The mic is yours. Yes. Introduce yourself. Greetings. And um, yes, my sister, make your statement. The mic is yours. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa and family. Uh, great program. I'm really, really enjoying it, and I really appreciate you putting this together as you do often with the programs that you provide us with. It's always informative and, and definitely inspiring. Um, uh, again, uh, thank you. And, you know, I'm listening carefully, and I'm taking some notes as I listen. Uh, and, and one of the things I want to say, of course, for those who are not familiar with the original Million Woman March, I strongly suggest that you take the time to examine it. Um, for whatever reason, the largest gathering in the world of any women anywhere ever uh, for, you know, has just been kind of pushed to the side. And it took me a minute to kind of realize as to why, but, but I've kind of done that now, and I'm going to start bringing it forward uh, in a greater context. But, but at any rate, you know, in examining and appreciating uh, Africa Day, uh, I had the opportunity prior to that to go uh, to the gravesite uh, of the great Malcolm X, El Hajj Malik El Shabazz. And, and, of course, for some, that's an annual pilgrimage. And, and uh, COVID, of course, kind of disrupted that. But we were able to go this year uh, in its 58th year. And it was, again, very inspiring and motivating. But, but in connecting the black dots, realizing the vision of Malcolm X and others, of course. But, but in the context of Malcolm X, I heard a few uh, mentions earlier about the development of the organization uh, for African unity. Well, of course, with Brother Malcolm, he too was formulating something from those concepts 
the, Af- the organization of Afro-American unity, and, and seeing as a whole the necessity to bring together not only a spiritual or religion con- concept, but a global concept, and, and that's what his vision represented. And so with the Million Woman March, what we actually did before the physical uh, appearance we examine some of the work of those before us, including, of course, Malcolm X, but also Paul Robeson and others. And I, and I use those examples because both of those ancestors introduced the ideas and concepts of us of a global uh, worldview for African thought and action, but also the issue of genocide, the issue of human rights violations. And so here we are in the 21st century with all the, a lot of hodgepodge stuff, uh, you know, with civil rights and other things that's meshed in with a lot of other kinds of things that, as far as I'm concerned, distracts us from the actual goal of African liberation. We, we somehow have allowed or it has been allowed that other things have been inserted into the fundamental struggle uh, and the fundamental fight to obtain justice and liberation for our people based on the fact that we are black, period, and, and for no other reason. And so, you know, all of these other things are coming into the mix to kind of dilute idea that reality. And so, again, with the Million Woman March, I was able to realize how in the past some things were able to be infiltrated, then uh, lessened or uh, put into another uh, kind of concept or idea. I saw that up close and personal. Because when I asked our sisters, many of them, what do you know about the Million Woman March? Of course, mostly the answer is nothing. And then the ones that do know, I asked, well, you know, did you attend or have you supported? And many of the answers to that is no. Uh, and even after seeing two million black women, now no, no already recognized person, uh, personality, group, organization, no affiliation with a political party, nothing. So when we talk about class, the Million Women March covered the gambit. It went all across the board, from from Sally in the hood to uh, Sophia in Mecca. It went in every single arena household that represented our people. But yet, to be able to connect that in our struggle for liberation and justice, somehow that got dismissed. And even from a historical perspective, when I look at even the folks who are historians, uh, for whatever reasons, felt no need to mention the largest gathering in the world of any women anywhere ever. So, again, when we ask these questions or we look at and examine the past and the present when it comes to our liberation, I think we have to also start looking at some of the contradictions, particularly when it comes to examining how are we really connected to the grassroots. Again, going back to Brother Malcolm who made it very clear, and as he said, make it plain, that it encompassed a certain kind of, which is what he actually demonstrated, and so did the Million Woman March, with bringing from Sister Soldier to Sister Winnie Mandela. So, again, I, I strongly suggested as we have these discussions and evaluations that we 
take heed to the fact that we are dismissing and possibly uh, putting in jeopardy some of the tools and mechanisms that have been given to us. As Baba Kwame taught very diligently, organize, 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 for we must not fill our ancestors. But yet, when you see organize, and I mean real organized from the grassroots through the glass ceiling, then what? So this year, after two and a half decades of much, much hard work, we're bringing forward the Million Woman World Movement. Why? To connect our sisters globally throughout the diaspora who want to now do some things in their communities, in their countries, in their nations but to synchronize some of these acts. Now, we've already demonstrated our capability with 2.5 during a time when there was no Internet for real, no face, no Facebook, no Instagram, none of that. How, do you, how are you able to mobilize 2 million sisters from around the world? How are we able to get a message read from Sister Asada Shakur in English and in Spanish during a time when there was no virtual, nothing available to us, but yet it was done? How are we able to connect people like uh, Maxine Wa- Congresswoman Maxine Wan- Waters, uh, John Conyers? Uh, how are we able to bring Dick Gregory, all of these people together in one location without there already being a mechanism that was recognized by the status quo, certainly did not have any connections, certainly did not already have a uh, or war chest in place, et cetera. So, it seems that for some reason there was an intentional effort to diminish the power. And so now we have persevered all of that. And again, in October, we'll bring forward the first global movement for women and girls of African descent worldwide. So when we hear people talk about the greatness of the black woman and how we got to come together as sisters and all of that, we shall now see because we've already made history and demonstrated it as such, but perhaps more importantly, have survived the attacks, the sabotage, and other things that that many uh, have taught us would happen. So uh, lastly, July. July we will bring forward our first installment of our own sister saints. Again, if we're going to approach dealing with our liberation and justice, What mechanisms are we talking about utilizing? We know that our children are with our women primarily, more than likely, for the first five years of their lives. So wouldn't it make a little bit of sense and logic to make certain that our sisters was given a certain type of empowerment? Would that not transcend and transform? for the next generation. So, so again, you know, what I'm speaking of is not feminism because uh, the black woman, the original mother, was here before any of that existed. And so our philosophy and approach represents that and, and bringing forward the mother of civilization. So, again, in, Janu- uh, in July, we will do our first installment process for our 25 sister saints. One will be the Honorable Amy Jacks Garvey, on July 23rd, that's her transition date, and then, of course, Queen Mother Moore on July 27th. Here in Philadelphia, we will hold our Queen Mother Moore weekend. 
where we will examine reparatory justice from a holistic perspective, where we will further the ideas and ideals of we charge genocide, but ours is we charge genocide 21, because there's 21 areas that we've identified that we know have been crimes against humanity of our people, but now can present a plan of action that we call the Black Print Agenda 25, so that we have a course and direction that's clear, and, and always developing, by the way, but at least the process is in place. And lastly, Brother African family, of course, next year will end or begin the end of what's known as the International Decade for African People. What is our plan? What are we talking about? And so while some say, oh, United Nations, that's da 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 um, we're like, you know what, if you do not understand the system of white supremacy, Everything else will only confuse you. And what that means is this. You use certain things for apparatuses. You use them to do other things. I could not have been able to talk with sisters this past March that came to the United Nations from different countries. I could not be able to meet with them one-on-one to hear what their views were, etc. if there wasn't these kind of interactions. So, again, over the past month, we've been able to do so and develop the next step. So if anyone wants more information, and I hope you do, you can feel free to contact us at nationalmwm at aol.com. Again, nationalmwm at aol.com. Or you can reach us at now at gmail.com. I uh, want to remind everyone again that MWM has always fought for our political prisoners. And while several have, in fact, been released, the issue or the case or the uh, in- incarceration of Mumia Abu-Jamal is in the forefront right now, along with Iman Jamil Alamin. And so we've created uh, some other operations to connect to the ones that are already there that come strictly from a black perspective. Again, if you contact us, we'll be more than happy to connect with you uh, because we're doing something that's very different right now uh, in the case of Mumia Abu-Jamal. And on the note, my sister, we'd like to thank you for your contribution to today's program, and we'd like to continue to encourage you to do what you're doing. And we know through organization, all things are possible. Um, Could I please remind everyone that our program tonight is uh, New Day, Resurrection, and Liberation. We are now in our 14th straight year, totally independent, speak truth to power. And we can be heard at 10.30 p.m., uh, Eastern Time at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Empress Chi. Again, www.blogtalkradio.com slash Empress Chi. Or you can call into the podcast at 319-527-6189. Again, 319-527-6189. Again, the Million Woman World March will be taking place in October globally. Thank you again, Brother Africa. Thank you, my sister. Next, we'll make our transition to a brother who does a lot of work in the anti-nuke movement, as well as the the desecration of African burial grounds. And 
He does a lot of community organizing. So we're going to bring this brother in. He's a long-time struggler and freedom fighter. He's going to share with us some of the works that he's doing, and um, we're going to bring him in right now. He's fighting for the liberation of all of humanity. His name is John Standback. Brother John Standback, we'd like to welcome you to African Liberation Day, Palestine Not My Day, 2023. Welcome, Brother John. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I'm speaking uh, as uh, an anti-imperialist, uh, as a colonialist, as a settler. Uh, and I, I just want to let people know I'm, I'm 76 years old now, and I've been part of the anti-imperialist movement. I want to be clear about that. Uh, since, uh, since the late 1960s, my, my first involvement at the University of Michigan after I got out of the Coast Guard, and we shut down the University of Michigan. We shut it down for uh, over a week, and that was over the issue of black enrollment at, at U of M. And then later on, I was one of the organizers of the Washington County Coalition Against Apartheid. And we fought not only against apartheid, but we fought uh, we fought against imperialism and colonialism in Africa and throughout the world, uh, and that includes our sisters and brothers in Palestine. So, so most people know me as a human rights activist, anti-nuclear activist, uh, community organizer. But my my roots are in the anti-imperialist movement, and I still uh, am proud to be invited to be on this program, and I'm proud to have participated so many years in Africa Liberation Day and the great job that uh, All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, has has done to continue that strong tradition. So so today, while I was waiting for the phone call, I've actually pulled off on the side of the road. So I was out working with Woodbridge Workers Committee, uh, food at Erie Supermarkets, and then taking them to uh, the commu- one of the communities that we work with uh, in, in solidarity. So, uh, and, and this was the way that we did it back in the late 60s and in the 70s was we understood that we had to organize as a community and that we were organizing against the system. And that we not only have to resist the system, but we have to organize alternatives to the system. So just to give one example, it, it was would have been unthinkable back in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s that we would organize any kind of an event without organizing a program for the children and the youth. And, uh, and, and we've lost that. To a great extent, it's very, very difficult to organize to to organize a meaningful resistance that includes younger people if we don't organize for the children. Because childcare is very expensive. You know, people are having a very hard time surviving these days. I, I was looking at uh, at a uh, a chart this morning about the growth of millionaires. And uh, in, in the United States and also worldwide, and it's getting more and more and more millionaires. And who is suffering? It is the working people. And so that's why I'm so pleased that the call this year is calling for class struggle, because that's one thing it's always said 
Nothing without a demand. Power concedes nothing without 
all the organizers of the AAPR PGC, thank you very much for keeping African Liberation Day alive. And Brother John, we'd like to thank you as well for being a many years supporter of this institution. And you know, when we work in unity, you know, we all can make the impossible possible. So we'd like to thank you for your contribution to today's program. At this point in time, brothers and sisters, we're going to take a rubbish and culture break, and when we come back, we're going to have a special message for you from the All African Peoples, Revolutionary Party GC, and don't you go nowhere. This is your day. This is Africa Liberation Day, Palestine Black Day. Let's hear some culture coming from Mother Africa.
for joining us today. Uh, African Liberation Day and Palestine Day are very important days in the history of struggle by people. Uh, we always say, and history is recorded and documented, is the masses of the people who are the makers of history. But every sector has a role to play. Uh, we thought this is important because we're talking about the revolutionary struggle of our people that we want to mark the onward progress of the of the African Revolution, of the struggle for Pan-Africanism every year with African Liberation Day, which was one of the reasons for its founding, April 15, 1958. And in struggle, uh, Kwame used to always teach, and he's correct, that we must study to be able to transform or change the conditions in which we find ourselves. It's very important that we study its history. And for the APRPGC, we are emphatic, like many other revolutionary organizations, that the primary enemy that African people face today is the system of capitalism and imperialism. Uh, this is not only in Africa, but this is for African people worldwide. And that what we are fighting against is neocolonialism, meaning that uh, with the struggle of independence, um, the leadership of Africa had to make one of two choices. Either the country which was created by Europe uh, was going to be genuinely independent, <clears throat> meaning that it would must be socialist, or would, it would be an appendage of, of imperialism. And most of the African continent leadership, not the people, but the leadership, chose to be an appendage of imperialism. And the only solution to that problem, contradiction, was the, the United States of Africa. Um, and that is the history that we are going to talk a little bit about today because the class struggle in Africa is the struggle for the unification of the African continent. So on behalf of the uh, All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and its women's wing, the AWRU, the All-African Women's Revolutionary Union, and on behalf of the oppressed and exploited but fighting African masses, we send greetings and salutations on this, the 65th commemoration of African Liberation Day and 75th uh, commemoration of Palestine or not by day. Uh, we think that African Liberation Day and Palestine Day is at a critical juncture in the revolutionary struggle in solidarity against neocolonialism and its puppets in Africa and the world and international imperialism and Zionism and the unjust, immoral, and genocidal occupation of Palestine. History is pristine on the question of the masses of the people being the makers of history. We will only find victory with the African masses. The qualifiers of this fact for this stage are mass political education and ideological training and organizational membership. In our thinking, 
any African who claims Pan-Africanism also claim membership in a revolutionary Pan-African organization fighting for one unified socialist Africa. This must be clear. The African revolution is the only path to the realization of Pan-Africanism. We only look to the African masses and not the artificial borders that divide them. And the puppet African government of international imperialism, governments who defend the balkanization of Africa with U.S. Africa Command or AFRICOM, with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization or NATO, using the National Endowment for Democracy or NAD, the CIA, Mossad, and other domestic and international imperialist instruments of repression and murder. The most essential weapon against international imperialism in the African Revolution is the class struggle in Africa and in the African diaspora. This view is consistent with the Pan-Africanist ideological principles and practices of Kwame Nkrumah, Ahmed Sekou and Kwame Ture. Pan-Africanist revolutionary theoreticians and, and practitioners of revolution. Class struggle is and has always been the motive force of history. That is why Ahmed Sekou concludes, and we quote, Africanism is henceforth the class struggle in Africa and of her external branches. Being not conscious about it would be exposing ourselves to a confusion that imperialism would not misexploit. And in this, he went on to say, with one of the other philosophical systems being offered at the point of colonial independence, particularly with the French, that negritude is deadly for Pan-Africanism. And that is why it is necessary to destroy it and make it dry under the hot sun of Africa with all its radicals. The soil of Africa must be rendered completely sterile of negritude. Pan-Africanism, when it is all at once against imperialist oppression, it becomes a will of unity of African peoples, of all the African peoples to stop being objects of history become the authors, then Pan-Africanism engages a cultural revolution, quite different from the fetish and touch contemplation of some, quote-unquote, African art objects. An analysis of African history or of African culture in Africa or the African diaspora that excludes an analysis of class contradictions like Nicolaitude did is reactionary and opportunist. Pan-Africanism rejects all in the African intelligentsia that thrives on divorcing their presentation of African history from the class its motor. African intellectuals and intelligentsia, many are funded by multiple national corporations, foundations, and institutions like the, uh, like the Ford Foundation, National uh, Endowment of Democracy, as they are paid and supported to spread confusion amongst African students and youth and to indoctrinate and mobilize them to defend and promote the principles, values, and interests of capitalism and imperialism. A revolutionary African intelligentsia to counter these intellectual 
and ideological agents of imperialism and infuse them with revolutionary ideology is therefore needed. The revolutionary struggle for panafism is the crucible of this objective. A genuine panafricanist, by definition, must be a materialist who knows that the study and analysis of history must be done using the science of dialectical and historical materialism. He or she knows that the African Revolution is but an expression of indigenous class contradictions in Africa and the African diaspora. And between Africa and at this stage in history, international imperialism and Zionism. He or she recognizes that the history of Pan-Africanism has its origin with the overthrow of communalism and the development of indigenous slavery and feudalism in Africa. Class struggle is not and cannot be exported. Class struggle is indigenous to all societies. Communalism has been overthrown and political power seized by kings and queens, pharaohs, tribal, tribal chiefs, or the priesthood. Ray points out it is a matter on the one hand of the forces of exploitation and oppression. On the other, the humiliated, oppressed, and exploited forces. This merciless and endless struggle is precisely the true motor of human life on earth. Within society, this struggle between the different strata or classes takes the name of class struggle, the one which has marked and is still marking the historic development of the modes of production of the various social groups. We argue that the philosophy that meets this requirement is philosophical conscientiousness with categorical conversion scientific explaining the inevitability of revolution and of panafricanism with the African masses at its source. Like negritude to be that is being promoted, be it nonviolence as a principle, be it African socialite and Ujamaa, be it black nationalism and separatism, be it whatever philosophy that does not incorporate class struggle must be criticized and must be rejected. Philosophical scientism is a revolutionary philosophy. Philosophical scientism is rooted in the culture and history of Africa, as is Nkumaism and Tereism which we believe is the ideology of the African Revolution with Pan-Africanism as its objective. Why is this important? Because it is around ideology that our people must be organized. It is around ideology that our people will find common unity and common objectives around the questions of revolutionary ideology. For world humanity, class struggle is worldwide. And consistent with this universality of class struggle, indigenous to Africa and the African diaspora. Class struggle is not important. The most clearly expressed 
again, with the overthrow of communalism in Africa's empire and growth development stage. Increase of knowledge of science, technology, and technical skills. There came a counter-revolutionary change in the mode and social relations of production in Africa, and with it, the introduction of slavery and feudalism. This is very important. African empires were created through warfare and withstanding armies. Captives of warfare were a primary source of slaves within Africa. Surplus production of goods and service came to be dominated by tribal chiefs and royal families, queens, queens and kings, and the priesthood. Egypt was probably the most advanced feudal state in, in ancient Africa. Nowhere in Africa was, was there the development of capitalism. When European imperialism attacked Africa to capture, traffic, and enslave African people, it was internal class contradictions, indigenous oppression and exploitation, confronted by an advanced feudal and developing capitalist system in Europe, just opposed to a more communal and, uh, and feudal mode of production in Africa, which was Africa was ill-prepared to fight and defeat a better organized and unified enemy. It was at this time that the primary expression of the class struggle in Africa was a struggle against European imperialism, and class alliances within Africa were created to that end. The enemy had a new face. He was European. Capitalist Europe's war against Africa to provide labor uh, to the Western Hemisphere institutionalized the capture, trafficking, and enslavement of African people by the millions to the Caribbean, South, Central, and North America. Africans were the most important commodity of developing capitalism and imperialism, and it was enslaved African people's intellect and labor that fueled the industrialization of the capitalist system. With the industrialization of Europe came the need for natural resources and minerals to fuel capitalist industry. Africa remained capitalism's most important resource. The removal from Africa, the removal of Africans and their enslavement and the enslavement of African people was no longer necessary. The genocide committed against the indigenous peoples and nations in the Western Hemisphere were proving success. Surplus capital was produced at an unprecedented level due to slavery. Capitalist Europe changed its strategy to now enslave Africans in Africa called colonialism. Colonialism was another form of slavery, with the natural and mineral resources of Africa being mandatorily extracted by the African masses for the factories of Europe. Enemy had the same face. He was European. It was the struggle against colonialism that helped crystallize, quote-unquote, the nations created at the Berlin Conference, and the national liberation struggle for Africa was part and parcel of its class struggle. The struggle against imperialism is also a class question. It was chattel slavery that expanded the class struggle in Africa to the African 
the world over. Pan-Africanism also expanded to include Africans in the diaspora, first expressed at the first Pan-African Congress Conference of 1900. Consequently, class struggle is the process Africans worldwide will resolve their being victims of neocolonialism, national oppression, racism, Zionism, and the exploitation of African people's labor. It is the class struggle that is Africa's and the African diaspora's primary struggle and weapon today. The class struggle is where African women are the catalyst for building a revolutionary pan-African peoples worldwide, a revolutionary liberation of African people worldwide, and unambiguously wage a relentless, relentless struggle with the support of African husbands, brothers, and sons for the emancipation of African women from gender exploitation and oppression. It is the class struggle that African youth, particularly students, find their historically determined place in the history of revolutionary struggle, educate and organize African people. It is the class struggle that re-empowers Africans and the African diaspora's workers and peasants. It is the class struggle that assures that the elderly have a just livelihood and care for them with the human dignity, human dignity and respect that they have earned. The class struggle will give support to the physically and mentally disabled and the infirm. The class struggle will liberate and bring scientific socialism to the masses of African people. And we want to highlight again some of the issues that's related to class struggle that is indigenous to Africa, because we think it is important to understand that Pan-Africanism is not a response of European imperialism coming into Africa. Pan-Africanism is the outgrowth of the historical evolution of African peoples. It is the history of our people that allows us to discover the essence of our past, which can only be found with the masses, and which allows us to scientifically understand our current reality and then to project what is best for our people moving forward. Therefore, we must decease with the glorification of the kings and queens and pharaohs and the splendors of the wealth Africa has produced and given to the world and not at the same time document the history of the artisans, the craftsmen and women, the peasants and farmers, which were its source. And Kuma was very clear. In the new African Renaissance, we place great emphasis on the presentation of history. Our history needs to be written as the history of our society, not as the story of European adventures. African society must be treated as enjoying its own integrity. Its history must be a mirror of that society, and the European context must find its place in this history only as an African experience, even if as a crucial one. That is to say the European contact needs to be assessed and judged from the point of view of the principles emanating African society and from the point of view of the harmony and progress of this society. When history is presented in this way, it can become not an account of how those African students refer to in the in introduction to, this is to conscientism, but became more Europeanized than others. 
it can become a map of the growing tragedy and the triumph of our society. In this way, African history can come to guide and direct African action. African history can thus become a pointer at the ideology which should guide and direct African reconstruction. The connection between ideological standpoints and the writing of history is a perennial one. So we in no way want to minimize the tremendous accomplishments, accomplishments scientifically and technologically speaking of Africa. But what is the material basis for our standing of, of this history? As an advanced and feudal state, we look at Egypt. And again, we are making the connection between the past and the present. Surplus production was at a high level as documented with the architecture of Pharaoh's priesthood and other elite classes. The pyramids, the sinks, and other architectural buildings were grand and remain to this day. Agriculture was organized by the state, operating on systems of serfdom and others. There were classes in Egypt, and there was the exploitation of labor. But who were the laborers who produced the magnificence? Who wrote their history? Studies we have read, and I'm quoting, it does not appear to be necessary to regard the officials of the kingdom as a distinct class. Egypt, no doubt, swarmed with a bureaucracy, a bureaucracy which was powerful, numerous, and cleverly arranged in such a graduated series that most bureaucratic countries of the modern world may with reason be said to have nothing superior to it. But the official class was composed in the main of persons who belonged previously, whether to the priestly or to the military order. Some official posts appear to have been hereditary. But this is the exception rather than the rule. And the Egyptian monarchs seem to have been free to bestow all but a few official posts on any subject whom they chose to favor. Of all the classes, that of the priests was the most important and the most carefully organized. At the head of the order stood a certain number of high priests among whom the high priest of the great temple of Amon at, at Thebes had a species of primacy. This individual held rank only to the king, and the time came when taking advantage of his position, the Theban high priest usurped the throne. Religion, and that's end of quote, religion and spirituality are central to African culture. This culturality has both a positive and a negative impact on African people. Those who represent the religions of the people with the overthrow of communalism, many chose to participate in the exploitation of the people. Again, in looking at ancient, ancient Egypt, we read, and I'm quoting, besides their regular revenues, the proceeds of their own land, the priests received at the hands of the faithful a large amount of valuable offerings whereby they were able to live themselves and bring up their families in luxury and also to add year by year to the wealth stored in the temple treasuries. 
the gold, the silver, the fine linen, the precious stones, the seals, the rings, the pictorial plates, the necklaces, the bowls and vases, the censers, the statues and statuettes, statuettes and precious materials, which the kings and other donors continually offered to the various deities and which became really the property of the priests, were of a value that cannot be computed, but that must have been enormous and must have ultimately made the priestly class by far the richest portion of the community, end of quote. Some things have not changed. We must be clear on the history of the working masses. There lies the class struggle with the African elite and wealthy. Under colonialism, an African intelligentsia was created by European imperialism in preparation for the furtherance of the colonial system. National liberation movements in Africa were divided between those who sought genuine independence and socialism and those who sought to replace the European colonial masters, but at the same time be willing accomplices to manage the system of exploitation on their behalf. Kwame Nkrumah explained this condition in stating, and I quote, in a colonial situation, negative action undoubtedly outweighs positive action. In order that true independence to be won, it is necessary that positive action should come to overwhelm negative action. Admittedly, a semblance of true independence is possible without this specific relation. When this happens, we say that neocolonialism has set in. For neocolonialism is a guise adopted by negative action in order to give the impression that it has been overcome by positive action. Neocolonialism is negative action playing possum, end of quote. Most of Africa's intellectuals and intelligentsia and newly elected officials fought for sham independence, which is no independence at all. Nothing much has changed in this regard in over some 65 years or so. Sham independence is neocolonialism. That is why the Organization of African Unity, or OAU, was formed as a strategic compromise between the revolutionary Pan-African states and the neocolonial puppets representing international imperialism at its founding. Neocolonialism's puppets were dominated were dominant at the founding of the OAU, and it is dominant in the African Union today. Kwame Nkrumah of the Conventional People's Party, Ahmed Sekoutre, Democratic Party of Guinea, Modibo Keita, Sudanese Union African Democratic Rally, Mali, laid the foundations for Pan-Africanism with the founding of the Union of African States on November 23, 1958. Patrice Lumumba, the Congolese National Movement, Congo, also agreed to join, leading to his overthrow and murder. Nkrumah distributed Africa Must Unite at the founding of the OAU to move Africa forward toward continental unity. Africa must unite, including continental unity and socialism, were rejected. 
Neocolonialism came became the official policy for most of African states. Africa has been under neocolonialism and tutelage of European imperialism for over really 176 years, with the founding by U.S. imperialism of Liberia, July 26, 1847. And so it has to be clear that neocolonialism can only be defeated through class struggle with scientific socialism as its objective. Africa is at war with capitalism, imperialism, and Zionism worldwide. Africa must regain control of her age-old destiny of struggle leading to continental unity. It is the class struggle that propels this struggle forward. Struggle requires revolutionary organization and mass political education for revolution and socialism. The transformation of Africa from neocolonialism to panafricanism will produce a brand new revolutionary African personality with the values of traditional communal Africa, but now in a modern technological and scientific context. The struggle between good and evil, the class struggle, must be waged systematically. The class struggle is a human thing. It is about improving humanity of every African consciously participating in Africa, also the African diaspora. So class struggle is about changing the individual human being to become a better human being for himself, herself, and for humanity as a whole. Class struggle is a reality that appears in the attitude of men of social strata. Its intensity is directly related to the degree of ideological consciousness of these men, of these social strata, in their daily struggle to resolve the various problems of their existence. Class struggle is all the more universal and permanent phenomena as everywhere in all times men act with respect to the necessities of life with respect to their modes of production, with respect to their present and future interests. Class struggle makes the difference between the socially positive and socially negative, between progress and regression in the people's revolutionary struggle. The task of today is to cultivate class consciousness among the African masses worldwide with the development of a revolutionary Pan-African intelligentsia that knows no compromise on the principles of the African Revolution. We are in a noble struggle to end the exploitation of one human being over another. Socialism can only be achieved through class struggle. And this is in Kuma. I, I like to quote this. This is, this is in Kuma, and I quote, Socialism can only be achieved through class struggle. In Africa, the internal enemy, the reactionary bourgeoisie, must be exposed as exploiters and parasites and as collaborators with imperialists and neocolonialists on whom they largely depend for the maintenance of their positions of power and privilege. End of quote. 
Mass political education and the organization of the African masses must be the watchword for all cadres of the Pan-African movement. Now, as it relates to Pan-Africanism, when we speak of continent unity, we understand it as an inevitability. It is not a dream. It is not some great idea. It is the process by which African people have evolved from time immemorial. Pan-Africanism will be an outgrowth of Africa's and African people's evolutionary and revolutionary struggle for economic, political, cultural, and spiritual growth and development. African history records that Pan-Africanism is an ancient objective process for Africans that was given a scientific expression at Pan-African Conference in 1900. The first expression of the concept Pan-Africanism was and is anti-imperialist and opposed to the exploitation of one human being over another. With the trafficking of Africans all over the world by the capitalist system in Europe, it was Africans in the diaspora who looked to Africa, not consumed with the colonialist micronationalism, but expressed a continental nationalism, Africa. Although born, raised, and living in the diaspora, it was understood that we are Africans, and the problems that confront diasporic Africans are the same problems Africans in Africa confront. These, these problems cannot be solved without liberty, without liberty, and liberty for Africans resides in Pan-Africanism. We, in turn, will never be strong, free, a free people, unless we liberate Africa and take and take from America what Africa is what America is trying to protect. All peoples of African descent, whether they live in North America, South America, the Caribbean, or any part of the world, are Africans and belong to the African nation. The core of the Black Revolution is in Africa. And until Africa is united under a socialist government, the black man, and we add the black woman throughout the world, lacks a national home, is around African people's struggles for liberation and unification that African or black culture will take shape and substance. Africa is one continent. Africans are one people. And Africa is one nation. This is the nationalism of Pan-Africanism. This is the nationalism of Nkrumahism, Tereism. It is on this basis that African people must and will be organized, and those standing in the way of Pan-Africanism destroyed. Kwame says it clearly. It seems to be clear that any black ideology that talks about revolution, understanding the necessity of a land base, must be pointed toward Africa, especially since we've decided that we are an African people and Africa belongs to all African people. It is our homeland. As it relates to culture, 
Ahmed Secretary says Africa's resistance to foreign rule was an act of culture, and he is correct. Cultural revolution is also expressed in the class struggle of Africa. African culture is not merely her dance, her dress, her music and dance, or her food. Culture is the totality of a people's existence, and any force that attempts to contain the cultural advancement of the people is its enemy. Indigenous oppression and exploitation were and is a violation of traditional communal Africa. It is this condition that drives the African Revolution and the imposition of foreign rule. Neocolonialism is a fetter on the growth and development of African culture. That is why class struggle is a central component of the cultural revolution. Secretary teaches us that cultural revolution, which rests on the people's soul capabilities, necessarily brings the whole culture to the level of the masses in order for them to have access to the knowledge and confidence with social justice, solidarity, and and advancement required. End of quote. The African Revolution is an expression of the cultural revolution in Africa. The cultural revolution will reach its highest expression with Pan-Africanism. And again, Secretary Ray directs us with this notion that the aim of the African the aim of the African culture and African people should be nothing, nothing else but the struggle for the liberation, unification, and re- rehabilitation of the continent. But it's important when we take hold of our culture, when the culture goes to the level of the mass. Again, Secretary gives us clarity when he says, but when the people have reached the stage of creating their own culture in a conscious manner, it becomes important to reestablish scientific truth or nothing can be done towards the people's liberation. Culture is created by the people to be used in a productive manner by them. Any, indeed, any conception of culture is productive, and all human production comes from a cultural component. So as it relates to culture, Again, it is said that the working masses, therefore, are everywhere the creators of progressive, democratic, and revolutionary culture. It follows that class struggle is resolutely, permanently expressed in all cultural approaches, in all ideological views, in all behaviors, for nobody exists outside a certain class. And every class conditions its members in their judgments, in addition it has strong influence on them. For us, for the APRPGC, these are the cultural facts of which there is no retreat. So in the final analysis, as we move to close our contribution to African Liberation Day in this regard, we again say that the African Revolution is the only path to Pan-Africanism and central to the revolutionary struggle for Pan-Africanism is class struggle for scientific socialism. And Kumag educates us, the basis of a socialist revolution is created when the class struggle within a given society has resulted in mass consent 
and mass desire for positive action to change or transform that society. It is then that the foundation is laid for the highest form of political action. When a revolution attains its excellence and workers and peasants succeed in overthrowing all other classes, end of quote. This condition is created when the African intelligentsia and intellectuals, particularly students, stop being cowards and assume your historic role as the spark African revolution and quit begging capitalism and imperialism for reforms that do nothing to alleviate the suffering of our people. The African masses are fighting for the aspirations and needs that are capitalized and three objectives and Kuma lays them most clearly. Our objectives are defined by three political components of our liberation movements. One is nationalism. Two is pan-Africanism. And three is socialism. He goes on to say that the three components of our struggle stem from our position as peoples in revolt against exploitation in Africa. These objectives are closely interrelated, and one cannot be achieved without the other. If one of the three components is missing, no territory on our continent can secure genuine freedom or maintain a stable government, end of quote. Most of the elected governmental officials and political parties in Africa and African diaspora are opposed to Pan-Africanism and the African Revolution. This is an analysis of the science of human development underscores the unity of opposites. It is the people in antagonistic contradiction with the African wealthy and elite, the anti-people, that is at the core of our struggle. So these objectives cannot and will not be achieved without the organization of the African workers, peasants, women, students, and youth, and other sectors of the African nation. It was Nkrumah who called for, and I quote, the formation of a political party, all liberated territories and struggling parties under a common ideology to smooth the way for eventual continental unity, and will at the same time and will at the same time greatly assist the prosecution of the all African people's war. He goes on to suggest that to assist the process of its formation, an all African committee for political coordination should be established to act as a liaison between all parties. Such recognize the urgent necessity of conducting an organized and unified struggle against colonialism and colonialism, and neocolonialism. For the APRPGC, this is our task for today. Build or help build a revolutionary Pan-Africanist party of the masses and linking all of our revolutionary and progressive parties in an organization of organizations. The, the exact nature of the struggle of African people 
is that of the antagonistic contradictions between the African people and its anti-people. Secretary goes on to, show, to suggest that in the practical struggle, revolution engenders counter-revolution, which, by the way, is required for the development inherent in everything, in every being, in order to correctly circumscribe and implies that every and every being be thoroughly at, we're not even going to go there. So our struggle, we have to be clear on its exact nature. Primary fight is against neocolonialism, which is the counter-revolution in Africa and abroad. The puppets of imperialism and their class allies represent the counter-revolution. And the African Revolution, fighting for Pan-Africanism, is the only solution to defeat it. One unified socialist Africa. To our African and international comrades and compatriots, we hope that we have raised and not answered some questions related to the revolutionary struggle for Pan-Africanism and the class struggle's relationship to it. We hope that we've been able to clarify the absolute necessity for the economic system of scientific socialism for Africa. We hope that we were able to demonstrate the universality of the struggle for Pan-Africanism and African nationalism for Africans in Africa and those abroad. We hope to inspire some of you who do not belong to an organization that is struggling for Pan-Africanism to do so today. We hope that by calling for an organization, a Pan-Africanist organization, that this idea will find fertile ground and germinate and grow. Kwame uh, said simplistically, unity presupposes organization. Practice without thought is blind. Thought without practice is empty. And we must organize as never before. For organization decides everything. These words have not changed from the, from the days in which they were spoken to today. And these are the issues that are confronting our ability to unite Africa as one. However, looking forward, there is victory for us. As always, in the names of Kwame Nkrumah, Sacred Trey, and Kwame Trey, and on behalf of the exploited but fighting and working African masses, we stand ready for revolution, and we thank you. And we'd like to thank Brother Iwali Mukita, organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, speaking to this year's theme, Pan-Africanism, raising class struggle in Africa and their diaspora, fighting for one unified socialist Africa. Brother Iwali Real quickly, please, how can they get in touch with the APRP for those who like to join the organization, join the Pan-African movement under their banner? Uh, we can be reached through our web portal at uh, www.aaprp-gc.org. That is the best way to uh, to communicate with us. Uh, for those who might be interested in joining, uh, there is a um, way to do that online through our forum. And so we encourage those to do so. 
But I think it's also important on the APRPGC's behalf for us to say that we are just one of many within the African Revolution and Pan-African movement. And uh, if the APRPGC is not an organization that you think is best for you, do the research and find another. And there are so many Pan-Africanist parties and, and organizations amongst the African world to choose from. But we should all who claim Pan-Africanism, we should all be a member of some organization that is fighting uh, for the liberation, the unification of Africa and socialism or Pan-Africanism. We should belong to some organizations fighting for those things. All right. And we thank you. Thank you, Brother Walmush and Walmukita, for your presentation. At this point in time, you listen to Brother Africa on Africa on the Move. You can listen to this radio station every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. But at this point in time, I'd like to thank all of our participants who have been waiting very patiently to share their updates on their movement and their struggles. And we'd ask each one of y'all, again, be paid a little more patient. We have to extend this program a little longer than we had scheduled. But everyone will get a chance to make their contribution to the 65th anniversary of African Liberation Day and the 75th anniversary of Palestine in Nakba Day. So right now, we have waiting for us, and we're coming now, we have the African Awareness Association. We have the Free Iman Jamil Alameen Movement. We have the Free Moonia Movement. We have Western Moria United Methodist Church. We also have Nakba Books Store. And we have WMS Journal. They've been waiting so patiently, and we'd like to thank all of y'all. So please be reminded for the fact that um, let's stick to the limit amount of time that we agreed to. So right now, what we're going to do, we're going to we're going to take we're going to take Carlo. Your last four numbers, we're going to take six eight eight six. Call your last four number. Introduce yourself. Six eight eight six. Welcome to. African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, and Not My Day, 2023. Yes, Carla. Hello? Yes. Is this Sister Hi, good Yes, it is. Okay. Introduce yourself and um, make your contribution day in terms of dealing with how we can feed Mumia Bujama. The, the mic is yours. Oh, great. Fantastic. Thank you for the invitation. My name is Gwen, Gwendolyn um, DeBrow. People, friends call me Gwen. Uh, I am currently a part of the Love Not Fear um, organization, also the campaign to bring Mumia home. And I work on behalf of freeing all political prisoners, and particularly uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal. Mumia has been in prison for 41 years, and he was on death row for almost 30 years. Currently, his case is um, being um, uh, it's in the uh, Common Pleas Court of Philadelphia. Um, his case was recently, unfortunately, turned down by that same uh, court, and Mumia's attorneys, Judith Ritter, and other attorneys are um, appealing that decision, and hopefully um, that case will be upset. I mean, excuse me, accepted by the Pennsylvania 
Superior Court, and hopefully um, that decision will be overturned and Judge Clemens will be forced um, to grant Mumia at least the minimal a hearing on the new evidence um, newly discovered uh, about two years ago. Um, there was some um, evidence uh, discovered that a key witness that testified against Mumia's um, 1981 uh, trial, excuse me, 1982 trial, uh, may have been bribed to testify against him. That witness is uh, name is Robert Trobert. He was a cab driver. He was driving his cab, um, excuse me, his cab illegally, and he says um, that he saw Mumia um, kill Daniel Faulkner. But we recently learned that um, he was potentially um, bribed to testify against Mumia, and um, that's a Brady violation. We also learned that he could have been, actually, Judge Clemens could have outright released Mumia regarding that new evidence, the new evidence being that the uh, key witness, Judge, excuse me, the key witness, um, Robert Trobert said, wrote a note to the district attorney asking, where is my money? Now, you would think in any other case where a witness is saying, where's my money, that that would at least grant you a new hearing, but not in Mumia's case, unfortunately, because he's a political prisoner and a threat to the powers that be. So, um, like I said, uh, Mumia's attorneys have put on file with the Pennsylvania Superior Court an appeal to appeal that gross decision that was uh, granted, um, that was, excuse me, um, that was posted on March, March the 31st. That's where Mumia's case lies right now. Um, for people wanting to get involved, they can go to bringmumiahome.com. That's bringmumiahome.com to get on uh, our mailing list, our email, our email list. That's bringmumiahome.com. And Mumia is spelled M-U-M-I-A. It's very important. M-U-M-I-A. Bring Mumia home. Thank you for your time. Thank you for this broadcast. And we will free Mumia and all political prisoners. And we'd like to thank you, my sister, for your contribution to today's program. Yes, we will. We're going to free Mumia. We thank you. You're very Next welcome. We're stay- Next, we're going to stay on this particular um, political prison movement issue as we bring in our brother, our brother Rilal Sani Ali, who also works with Iman Jamil Alameen, formerly known as H. Rap Brown. He's going to talk to us now and give us an update on that movement. Brother Bilal, welcome to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. The mic Thank is yours. You. Thank you very much, Brother Lee. I'm very proud. And and we realize it is, it's, it's a matter of our duty uh, to bring forth a report on this day and stand in solidarity uh, with, the, with the African struggle worldwide and that this struggle to free political prisoners is part of that struggle for the, Af- the struggle for the African liberation worldwide. It's part of our worldwide struggle that we've been we've been involved in 
Um, and we stand, we of course stand firmly with our brother, Mumia Abu-Jamal, who the sister was just, was just talking about. I want to uh, bring two things to the uh, people, people's attention. First, let me say I ask a lot of God, my heart and God, my tongue. As to what I'm going to, as what I'm going to say, and I pray that what I say will be of some benefit, and I really hope it will be of some benefit to all those, to all those listening. There was a, um, the Imam Jamil Action Network has been forming uh, several groups, along with in our struggle to exonerate and and bring home uh, our Emir Imam Jamil. Abdul Alamin, formerly known as A. Trap Brown, we have formed a we formed a group called the Exposed COINTELPRO, which we ask people to join into because um, COINTELPRO has been defined by a team of international experts as a form of genocide, as as a progenitor of genocide against African people here in the Western Hemisphere. And and we we call for people to 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 find out as much information about COINTELPRO and to see how much and see what forms it has has led us to and how many people it has put behind bars, how many political prisoners there are as a result of of COINTELPRO. Another organization that we formed besides this exposed COINTELPRO movement is the uh, Black Belt Coalition on Human Rights. The Black Belt Coalition on Human Rights is something that uh, IJAN, the Management Action Network, developed as a result of the um, as, a, as a result of the forming of the United Nations Independent. I mean, excuse me. Nation International Decade for People of African Descent. The Black Belt Human Rights Coalition is based in the South, and we have been working with different bodies of the UN. We have become a part of the United Nations Permanent Forum, and we were recently part of a of the um, an, an, a body created by the United Nations called the the United Nations Expert Mechanism on Law Enforcement. Um, this, this body held a series of hearings. They visited the United States. They went to several cities. They came to Atlanta, where I was at, and we gave a, we not only gave a testimony regarding Imam Jamil, but we gave, we offered testimony regarding uh, Rochelle McGee, Mumia Abu-Jamal, uh, 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 Matulu, Matulu Shakur, and, and, and several, several others. We, we want to um, emphasize the fact that we've been working with these international organizations, building international solidarity, for, our, for the release of political prisoners that we represent, as well as for the liberation of all of our people. I want to give out the Imam Jamil Action Network uh, website, which is www.imamjamilactionnetwork.org. I'll spell it out, 
us to www.imamjamilactionnetwork.org, and you can visit our website and see the, the and see the work that we're doing, and you can join into the work that we're doing. We, um, like I mentioned before, we're working along with other political, political prisoners groups and other groups that are working on the issue of liberation of our people, educating our people. Uh, some of the one of the, some of the recent things that has taken place uh, within in the case of Imam Jamil, um, besides us giving testimony to this um, to this United Nations expert mechanism, is the um, the confession by James Santos, which was originally made uh, four days before the Imam Jamil was taken into custody. In other words, this confession was originally made on March the 17th, year 2000, um, four days before he was taken into custody, which was on March the 20th of the year 2000. And so, so this confession, which has been made, was finally addressed by the Fulton County court system, mainly the Fulton County the Fulton County Conviction Integrity Unit interviewed the confessor James Santos uh, just uh, less than two months ago, finally. And uh, most recently, within the last two weeks, uh, Imam Jamil Alameen, formerly known as H.R.A.P. Brown, has been, has been in contact with the Innocent Project, and the Innocent Project has agreed to take his case we're looking at that as very good as very good news because so far every case that the Innocent Project has taken, they have won the release of of they have won the, the release of the person they they've engaged in. So we're looking forward to that to be the the case in terms of Imam Jamil. And again we want to invite people to please come to our website, www imamjamilactionnetwork.org to get further information and to get further updates and to stay updated in terms of what you can do to be part of the, be part of the effort to free Imam Jamil and free all of our political prisoners. I thank you very much for this um, time, for this opportunity, and I hope that I've, I've, I hope that I've given as much information as I could within this short amount of time. Thank you again. Free all political prisoners. Free them all. Free the land. We thank you, Brother Bilal, for all that you do, not only for um, Jamil, but you'll be doing things for other movements as well, from my understanding, and um, you've been a true soldier of Fighting for freedom and justice, and we thank you for making your contribution to this year African Liberation Day. We will continue to travel down this road of liberation, and we're going to our community. Right now, we can bring in our brother, Reverend Ari M. Hunter. He minister at Westminster United Methodist Church in RVA. We can bring in our revolutionary minister, and we'd like to welcome him to African Liberation Day, Palestine, and Nakba Day. 2023. Welcome, Brother Hunter. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Brother Lee, 
and for all the persons who've participated and and we thank God for the opportunity to fight against all forms of oppression and hatred and all uh, all institutions that continue to enslave. Uh, I am Rodney Hunter Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church, and I just want to say, and we are located 1720 Mechanicsville Turnpike, Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I, I just, as a pastor, I, I try to participate and work with all organizations fighting for liberation for all. And, and we talk about, and I, and I thank God for the speaker who talked about we need nationalism, so we we need to come together on those things that bring liberation for all, and we can't um, just sit by. And some of us may be doing very well, and some may be wealthy, but we we can't sit back and just think we can enjoy life without trying to be a blessing to so many who are uh, still enslaved and so many who are oppressed. And as we can see, even in this country, we can just see how this economic system of capitalism is just destroying the working class people and it's, de and it's destroying the morale of the nation. Everything it, the Congress is doing is working against the common person. So uh, I just want to say that Lee and others, let's just keep the fight going. It is a struggle, and nothing's going to be given to us. So we have to struggle. We have to stay together. We cannot be fearful, and we have to uh, take, uh, be objective and look at, have vision and ways to fight all forms of oppression, and it's everywhere. So we, we have a job to do, and we must support each other, and that, that's my thing, too, we have to support each other and in every way and every form. And I think, as the speaker said, if you're not in some organization, then join one. So I agree with that piece. We cannot, we cannot sit on our own islands and think that we're going to solve this problem of oppression. And that uh, we think about Cuba, we're talking about Palestine, just, and, and we have to make sure, we have to let the government know that we will take a stand to fight for these issues of liberation. So thank you, Lee, and I, I know your time is valuable today. I just want um, everybody to know that we as a church are here, and sometimes people say that uh, we are not doing enough, but we'll do whatever we can to make sure that our voices are heard in this struggle for liberation. So thank you, Lee, and God bless everyone, and um, I hope. I hope at some point we can all come together, too, and so we need to be in touch so that we can uh, know one another and, and help one another. So thank you much, and God bless. Thank you, um, Brother Hunter, for setting a good example of what a minister should be and how he truly serves the community. We'd like to thank you for taking this time out to talk, come, and celebrate this 65 years of continued struggle to help build an institution to help fight for Africa's liberation as people. You're a minister that sets a good example for future generations. We thank you. Next, we will travel down the road to the role of information.
Again, we often say, what information you cannot think. And we have a brother with us who has a journal. The name of his journal is MSW, MWS Journal. And um, he has information on a timely basis when you need to check out his journal, his journal on a monthly basis, because the timeliness of his information and his research is excellent. And he's been a true soldier for Africa and African people, and we'd like to bring him in right now. My brother, Brother Neil Smith, we'd like to welcome you to this year, African Liberation Day, Palestine, and Nakbak Day. Welcome, Brother Neil. Thank you, Brother Lee. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here, and I'm inspired by much of what I've heard and informed by great presentations and the great uh, information from the uh, movement uh, individuals that have contributed. And uh, I'm just uh, just uh, encouraged enough to just repeat the the old uh, chant of Africans, Africa for the Africans at home and abroad, uh, guided by one of our great leaders and teachers, uh, the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. And uh, I'm... Uh, I'm reminded through some of the, the, the presentation earlier of uh, what is going on today in, in Africa and some of those persons who are fighting the, the fight to provide information. And uh, much of what I'm doing now and, and with the journalists continuing to study and trying to share some of the insights and the activities of others people who are uh, um, vigorously in action and uh, who are working in organizations and who are teaching and lecturing around. A couple of uh, individuals that I'm uh, impressed with on the continent as dealing with the the current situation uh, with, for example, the the weak-kneed OAU uh, for example, that has been mentioned, you know, earlier. Uh, one of those is the uh, the professor P. L. O. Lumumba, which I'm attempting to share with people. Some of the video clips of his lectures are very encouraging. He pulls no punches. His brother is uh, very much on the case and in line with the the old line. Uh, Pan-Africanist uh, point of view, uh, and he is highly critical of the current leadership uh, throughout Africa, and is very ar- articulate in his uh, his presentations uh, about all of it. And uh, I urge people to uh, to find him and listen to him if need to get a clear understanding of some of the problems that are not being addressed by the the current leadership uh, throughout Africa. Another is the the former uh, ambassador to the OAU, um, Sister Arikana, who is uh, lecturing around the world about much of that same thing, about the needs on the continent and the lack of leadership. And, of course, that's what, that's what led to her ouster from the OAU, apparently, 
and but she continues to uh, inform, to educate, and uh, I, you know, recommend her to uh, various folks to for information and uh, inspiration. My uh, MWS journal is sent uh, periodically by email to uh, selected list uh, of uh, recipients in an attempt to just share information to a, a variety of folk in our community. And much of the, the readership on my list includes folks who are not very much uh, ingrained or in touch with uh, what we uh, what we know and uh, and work with as pan Africanism. Many of the, the people on my list are, are folk who are very much entrenched in mainstream Americana, for example. And uh, uh, I attempt to get to them pointedly in order to provide some information and, and prompting uh, away from that position and uh, those uh, ideas, and particularly the uh, the reverence for militarism, uh, which is the kind of thing that we see represented now in, uh, for example, the, the new uh, phase of neocolonialism with the U.S. military's presence in Africa, in the in the uh, in the in the, in the guise of uh, intervention again, uh, 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 humanitarian intervention but in the form of the U.S. Africa Command or AFRICOM. And AFRICOM is a, another uh, presence of military throughout the continent and it represents an incursion by Western powers with the U.S. leadership, but also represents the uh, complicity of African leadership in allowing this, uh, this kind of... Uh, uh, this kind of uh, military presence, uh, which in some cases it, it is uh, supposedly an advisory capacity, training capacity, and the like. But we know it's uh, it's U.S. military uh, uh, incursion or foreign foreign military presence on the continent once again. Uh, the French are doing their thing, but the African people in many of the French formal uh, colonies have wised up a bit more and have, uh, have sought the ouster of the French military from there or, and are seeking the, the ouster of the French. But that has not yet happened with those where uh, AFRICOM is present, to my knowledge. But the entire culture of the United States and the militarist culture, the obscene militarist culture, which is reflected in the budget, and uh, and in uh, popular entertainment and education is uh, reflected in, among other things, of course, the wars, the continuing wars, and now even the proxy war in Ukraine. Um, but the situation in Africa with AFRICOM's present is a very, very much uh, a dire uh, a condition that we have to uh, deal with. So these are some of the kinds of things that I try to deal with in the journal. 
uh, most recent uh, edition has been uh, a reflection on some of my own uh, history and, and concerns uh, having to do with COINTELPRO, for example, which was just mentioned. That COINTELPRO had uh, provided me with some uneasiness, to say the least, because of an individual namesake uh, mine, an individual who had my name, who was an informer uh, in the Black Panther Party years ago. So I just, uh, I just uh, uh, published and circulated a, an edition of my MWS journal uh, describing that situation and the, the photo of him that had just appeared, or I, I just discovered it uh, recently online in a documentary about the uh, uh, the war on Black America. So these are some of the things that uh, uh, the MWS Journal is uh, attempting to do, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that it has uh, some value and that it uh, makes some contribution to our our waking up, you know, as as a people, uh, following the old. Uh, model of the organization that I, I, I founded years ago in uh, Springfield, the, the attempt to establish a W.E.B. Du Bois Center in the city is connected to the University of Massachusetts Afro-American Studies uh, program, department actually, where I was uh, a, a faculty member and also director of community projects. And we attempted to establish this in uh, Springfield, and for a few years, uh, we gave it a go. Uh, it did not last, but uh, there is a latter-day redemption of it uh, in uh, a church in the city with a little different focus and a little different approach than we had years ago. But our motto was uh, education for liberation, and uh, we sought to get faculty members into the city to, to do some of their, their lectures and workshops, you know, among the people in the city, the city being some 12 miles away from the, the university campus, which provided some difficulty. But uh, we, we, we made an attempt of it at that time. But Education for Liberation is uh, still good. It's still something that we uh, should uh, pursue continually. And uh, I am... Uh, attempting to do uh, just that. And I was uh, just uh, very glad to hear the brother uh, quoting from uh, Kwame Nkrumah, and uh, uh, that is uh, just what it's about. And this presentation has been, uh, as I said uh, before, quite uh, uh, fruitful, and I appreciate uh, coming on and, and, and being a part of it with you, and uh, hope we will continue. One of the things that has that might not have been given as much attention yet, uh, and one which relates very much to this matter of class distinction is the uh, Palestine situation and the continued uh, support of the mainstream America, the support of Israel in this. And we have many of our uh, our people continuing on that uh, 
path and this, the story of the Nakma not being uh, prominent in U.S. Uh, uh, in the uh, in the popular culture or, or mainstream history or anywhere, and uh, that is uh, something that uh, we get at in the in the journal to provide uh, material that educate and uh, in, inform about the the reality uh, and that is past history as well as uh, current you know current events so glad to be able to to be doing that at this stage uh, of my journey I have I in a few days will um, be 82 years of age, and uh, I still feel the fire, and have the uh, the, the hope and vision that uh, the Pan Africanism that we speak and, and work about uh, will be obtained, and that uh, there, there are many of us that are diligently on that track and very capable and. Uh, will not be distracted and will not be bamboozled and will have the the uh, the, the victory uh, and uh, I could say as I said in my closing of the last issue of the journal on onward onward and thank you Lee for having me okay. uh, with you Brother Neil, how can they get in touch with or get a copy of your journal and your work how can they contact you? Can and contact me at uh, uh, melmanjaro at yahoo dot com. That's m e l m a n j a r o at yahoo dot com, and uh, I will reply and indicate if you want to uh, get on the list. On the mailing list, and I will be glad to do so. All right, Brother Mayor, like thank you for your contribution to today's program and continue to um, document the history of our people because we know history is very important and um, we must value more, value more, not only value it more, but we must be the writers. We must tell our story. So we'd like to thank you for making a contribution to Ariel, and at this point in time, we're going to continue down the road of liberation and bring in Brother Haki Kamathi Machoki. He represents the African Awareness Association. Brother Haki, welcome to African Liberation Day, Palestine and Nakbak Day. Uh, thanks for having me, brother. Um, you know, I want to make a quick statement, then a formal statement, statement representing African awareness. And uh, it may take, uh, I may go a few minutes over the allotted limit, but please bear with me. Uh, now, my statement is the challenges confronting African people generally are both complex and convoluted at the same time. Political strategy designed to conceal the inner workings of capitalist system renders access to information through the mainstream media an impossibility. Purposely done to facilitate blind spots among the populace, this strategy is potentially lethal for humanity. While vital information of keeping the population abreast of events taking place in society, this information is denied while simultaneously releasing 
nefarious information that paint the state as flawless. Based upon this narrative, many individuals incorrectly conclude with such a perfect system in place, any problems, social or political, has to be a function of personal defect, a biological deficiency that renders the individual incapable of grabbing the opportunities of a free society. No discussion is allowed to present a narrative to question the concept of free. Of course, in a capitalist society, free or freedom is encapsulated in the constitutional preamble, which defines who is free and who is not. Africans are not even considered an afterthought. Superimposing the legacy of racism on U.S. society, which shapes the functioning of institutions in the U.S., the injustice, systematic disparities, whether social, political, or economic, uh, that negatively impact African people is no mistake. This leads me to ask the question, if inequality is built into the capitalist model, the greater the inequality, the, the greater the profits, why would capitalists change that formula? If capitalists are loath to enact political change that would suggest as capitalist, capitalism deteriorates, the level in, in injustice, <clears throat> uh, economic devastation will actually increase, not decrease for Africans. In this context, some decisions have to be made. If Africans by reason of history are committed to remaining in the country of birth, excluding the fact the landmass actually belongs to the indigenous tribes, any chance of longevity in North America must incorporate violent resistance because the well because the well organized, highly armed state, along with far right militias, will view mass destruction of non white lives as indispensable tactic in resolidifying political control as capitalism further declines. Africans must be prepared to wage a fierce defensive battle to remain alive. The alternative is a long strategy of building Africa building a strong Africa economically, politically and socially, with a strong United Africa in control of its mineral resources, a banking system with its own currency, establishing commodity prices, and the political ideology of Pan-Africanism that unites the continent, <clears throat> thus ensuring the future of African children in a world motivated to employ reason to the problems of humanity with an understanding any sacrifices that humanity must make should be equitable and above board. These are the choices Africans must make. There are only two. And I encourage people to please consider these, consider, consider these considerations. Now, I'm going to make a quick formal statement from the African Awareness Association. <clears throat> now, greetings to all the participants doing. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but greetings to all the participants speaking during this program. To all the organizers who helped put this program together, especially the host organization AAPRPGC. To our special guests, its presenters, and the people of the diaspora. We come to speak on the issue of traveling to Cuba in solidarity. We come to highlight some of the principal contradictions that Africans in the U.S. must address as it relates to U.S. policies on traveling to and having a principal relationship with Cuba and its people. As Africans, we view the issue of travel from our historical experience and relationship with our encounter with the West, with the understanding that the U.S. and extension of the consolidation and strengthening of the behavior and attitude of European domination to Africans as their slaves living on their plantations in the U.S. The U.S. blockade is an extension of slave laws and black codes which existed in this country then and now. There are slave patrols who, are, who had orders to hunt us down and punish us for traveling outside of the plantation or traveling to another state or border without the state or slave owner's permission while seeking freedom, visiting family members or friends. This is why we will not obey nor continue to co-sign this practice the practice of policy of terror. We would, we would travel to Cuba and be an ally to the Cuban people. The U.S. War, the U.S. was and is complicit committing crimes against humanity as it is engaged in kidnapping, trafficking, and saving African people from our home 
Africa to the Americas. This is how we. This is how most of us got here against our will. We have never voted or agreed to being here, nor have we been given up our identity, nationality, in our homeland of Africa. Through the blockade, due to blockade, embargo, and sanctioned policies and laws, it continues this slavery, legacy of slavery, criminalizing and punishing its victims, prohibiting and preventing Africans in the U.S. from the following. One, keeping our families intact, given the economic disparities contributes to intolerant levels of stress in the African community. Two, supporting our families through medicines, uh, financially, politically, culturally, et cetera, in the U.S. and in Cuba. And thirdly, creating artificial broad borders or boundaries and divisions that now us from unifying, uni- uniting with, our, with and visiting our historical, biological, and di- ideological families in Cuba through force of legislation, political strategy, and coercion. This is why we will not obey nor continue to abide by this practice of, of, and this policy of terror. We would travel to Cuba and be an ally to our people, the Cuban people. This blockade and this associate, associated travel restrictions is an act of war against Cuba. Africans in the U.S. are not at war with Cuba. We are Africans in the U.S. Are, we and Africans in the U.S. are at peace with the people of Cuba. The people are not at war. We reject this, 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 this war as our war. Again, this is why we would not obey nor dignify this practice and policy of terror. We would travel to Cuba and be an ally to the Cuban people. <clears throat> now, concluding here, due to time constraints, let me just quickly uh, inform the listeners in terms of a little bit about the African Awareness Association. Now, African Awareness Association came to exist on July 6, 1978, based in the U.S. We are not a solidarity group, but at times we do participate in solidarity activities. We are an international pan-Africanist organization that seeks to build a bridge that unites and connects Africans around the world to help preserve, produce, and embellish African history and culture globally. We want to help integrate Africans in the diaspora back into their homeland, Africa. We also have a special project building a bridge that connects Afro-Cubans to their historical roots and family members in the African diaspora. We are aware of the blockade's impact on Cubans, especially on the African and Cuban communities inside of Cuba. We will never forget since 1998, over 25 years, the African Women's Association has been organizing African people to people delegations to, with the African Cuban communities, and will continue to do so. We are not caravanistas, nor brigadistas. We are freedom fighters. It comes from our tradition and culture of struggle and resistance. We come to make an appeal to all Africans in the U.S. and all people of goodwill to join our freedom ride to Cuba from July 24th to July 31st, 2024. Come and contribute to putting an end to this illegal, immoral, unjust, and racist blockade. The struggle continues, and I'm going to thank you for listening, and thank you for having me, brother, to this program. Thank you, Brother Haki. At this point in time, you've been listening to Caution. Caution comes in various forms. Cultures is a product, a byproduct of what the people produce materially and immaterially. Right now, we're going to bring on some more culture, but we're going to do it through the use of music. We're going to have a little culture with music, and when we come back, we're going to be honored and privileged to have a dialogue with the AAPRPGC or learning more about them, their position on certain issues, and how are they dealing with the communities and the problems that our communities face on a daily basis. So this is Africa on the Move. We'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere. Hey, mama. Hi, mama. Love you, mama. Oh, my, oh, my. Oh, my. 
But mama don't cry Gonna keep you by the flame so high
the 65th anniversary of African Liberation Day and the 75th anniversary of Palestine and Nakba Day. At this point in time, we're going to engage a little bit with the All-African People's Publishing Party, GC, as it relates to their relationship to the African, pe- Af- African community, the African people, and getting a better understanding of its practices and its works and, in essence, what is the AAPRPGC? And to do that, we're going to bring back our brother in Walamukita, where he's representing the AAPRPGC, and he's going to give his perspective of the party. On some of the questions that have been going on in the community that they've been raising about the nature of, uh, the, nature of the AAPRPGC as a political organization. Brother in Walamu, one of the issues in the community, there are some... Uh, narratives that the APRPGC is anti-community, uh, anti the workers, anti um, the masses. They seem to spend most of all their time with students around students' campuses. Speak to that narrative. What is your position on that issue? Well, I think that um, you have to make a distinction between strategy and tactics principles. Uh, I think what we attempted to do in our earlier contribution to this discussion today was to uh, differentiate in history um, the role that different sectors of our people play. And uh, amongst the intelligentsia or the intellectuals, they have played both a negative role and they played both a positive role. Uh, and even to this day, uh, that is true. Uh, that is the nature of the struggle in which we're in. Uh, and then also, also uh, based on the study of history, uh, one has to make an assessment of uh, what, what, what needs to be done first. Uh, what is the priority of how to reach the golden objective that you have set for yourself. That's a whole different uh, set of issues. Uh, Our position politically, uh, and again, I think we we said it many times, is that the masses of the people and the makers of history, they are the ones who determine victory or defeat in all struggles. Um, At the same time, you know, as a revolutionary party or, or attempting to to build or to contribute to the development of a revolutionary party. Um, with limited resources, uh, we're small, we're poor, we're just committed to trying to make a contribution. Um, what we recognize for the, for the, for the objective of, of revolution, and, and again, we're not a re- we don't believe in reform as an objective. We're, we're not trying to reform capitalism to make it more palatable for our people, we see capitalism as the enemy of our people and must be destroyed for our peoples to move forward. Liberation to us cannot happen without the destruction of capitalism and without the destruction of neocolonialism. And so those ideas of revolutionary ideas that are not um, popular amongst the mass of our people. And so, therefore, to introduce the workers and the peasants and other sectors of society to these revolutionary ideas 
uh, history has recorded that the students uh, have been integral in this part or this stage of the struggle. And so when we look at all of the movements in Africa, whether it be in uh, Guinea-Bissau, Mozambique, Algeria, uh, Angola, Zaire, South Africa, etc., that the spark or those who were taking these revolutionary ideals were the students and the youth. And it is they who inspired uh, the masses, uh, the, the, the popular people, to join and participate in revolutionary insurrection and, and, and revolutionary struggle. Uh, that set of conditions have not changed. Uh, what has changed is the stage of the, the, the struggle which we're confronting uh, it is not as easy to um, mo- organize and mobilize our people around the question of class and socialism as it is around the nationalism and, and, and quote unquote, uh, the struggle against Europeans or the white man. It's, it's, it's much different because in this struggle, we're talking about science. We're not talking about sentimentality. We're talking about science. And someone has to introduce the science of revolution to the mass of our people, whether it be workers. Or, or, or peasants, et cetera. And at this stage, we still think that uh, our responsibility is to help uh, create a revolutionary intelligentsia that uh, is 100% committed on principle to the realization of pedophilism and to help inspire and to spark that movement and struggle at the level of the people. Our people are fighting. There's no question about it. Africa is on fire. It lacks the ideological uniformity, and it lacks the objective which will reconcile the contradiction which each group of our people, whether it be in Mali or Guinea or Nigeria, you know, we, we can have those struggles, and, and, and there's no contradiction with that. But Nkrumah was very clear that ultimately the contradictions that are faced in the specific countries that were created in Berlin, uh, Germany in 1884, those contradictions cannot be resolved without the unification of the continent under scientific socialism. That is the objective reality of which we want our people to understand so that they, there's no compromise on that question. And, and for that to take place, it puts them in greater conflict with the African wealthy and elite inside of Africa and inside of the African diaspora. And, and so, again, uh, it is important that we, as a party, as a developing party, as a struggling party, have a relationship with all sectors uh, of the African community, African society. At the same time, we have to recognize that of those different links or those different connections, they're going to play different roles. And so at this stage, again, on the question of Pan-Africanism, we think that the the intelligentsia has to play its role, a critical role, to make sure that the ideas surrounding Pan-Africanism and revolutionary ideology and all these uh, these aspects of revolutionary struggle are properly understood by the people as a whole. And that, that is my comment. My brother... Can you give our listening audience a more precise understanding of what is Pan-Africanism? What is its core base in terms of what makes up Pan-Africanism? We see there's a rise of everybody saying now they are Pan-Africanists, they call Pan-Africanism. 
but did not necessarily join it from the same historical perspective or even behaving the same way. For example, I understand that the APIPGC, when we talk about Pan-Africanism, they say, they say that Africa must be primary. What do you mean by Africa must be primary? So what are the tenets that one can dissect and look at someone to come to some conclusion on whether or not if they are a real Pan-Africanist? Okay. I, I think, again, when we go back to the presentation earlier, because I, I, I think it's important to understand that the cadre of the APRPGC or any other revolutionary party does not have all of the answers. If that were the case, well, our people would be free. Uh, and so we're struggling also to understand the history, understand the, the processes, understand the science that governs revolution. We're learning how to make one, and we're hopeful that we are helping others to learn how to make one. Um, Pan-Africanism, again, is, 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 is something that is indigenous to the African continent. And, again, it, you have to use the methodology, you have to use the science of history to properly understand how Pan-Africanism is an inevitability for African, for Africa and African people. And when you look at that, when you look at the, the, the kingdoms or the empires that were developing Africa, and they were developing indigenous to Africa, they are not a product of some foreign invasion or intervention or, or those types of things. This is the process in which our people were engaged. And, uh, you know, the, the evolution that you see is that Africa empires, as we call them, you know, they be in, in Egypt, or they be in Ghana, Malisongay, they be in Malabatapa, they be in Angola, they be in Congo, uh, they they you know they they were all over the continent. And empires are aggregation of smaller units. Empires are not created just through the fact that someone in a smaller unit wants to be a part of a the larger unit. It's warfare, and people are conquered and they become a part of the empire, you know. And, and so Africa went through this process also. But the positive side of it is that the, the empires were bringing Africa closer to continental government, so to speak. And, again, we're talking about small Europe, but Egypt was one of those, the fight between the upper, upper Egypt and lower Egypt that was about the unification of Egypt, you know, and you have different uh, classes realities and ethnic realities, they're war. Right? This, is, this is a side of, of African history that we have to analyze, right? because that's the elite, that, that the history that we are looking at. It's not the history of the mass. The history of the mass are the fighters. They are the victims, are forced to fight to expand something that, that they did not necessarily want to participate in. But anyway, so when we talk about Pan-Africanism, we have to go back and study Africa independent of any other contact with Africa as a starting point. But, of course, Africa was central to uh, world civilization, so to speak, and, and, and was looked to as a, a refuge of scholarship and science, etc. And so many wanted to, to have access to what Africa had to provide based on its own historical development. Um, and, and so... Um, of course, when we get to the uh, 1800s, 1500s, or when we get to the development of capitalism, advanced feudalism in Europe, where they were 
um, occupying other people's lands, particularly in the Western Hemisphere, where they, you know, they they they, they entered this land and began to commit genocide against the indigenous peoples. Uh, Africa would would come to play a role of of, of, of providing labor to work the plantations, etc., inside of the Western Hemisphere, South Central, North South Central America, and the Caribbean. Um, but all of this is connected to understanding the history of Pan-Africanism, because even though uh, Africans are now in the diaspora, Pan-Africanism does not start in the diaspora. Pan-Africanism is a process of which Africa was growing from smaller aggregates to larger aggregates. That is the core. And, and Nkrumah points out that uh, and he talks about traditional Africa, and one area of difference is that traditional Africa also includes, also includes slavery and feudalism. So he's really talking about communal Africa. But the principles that govern communal Africa are the very principles that uh, Nkrumah points out that fall under the guise of scientific socialism in a more modern context. Same principles, humanism, egalitarianism, collectivism. But because of Africa's history, Pan-Africanism also has other principles, which, in, which has to include those of African descent. All people of African descent are African and belong to the nation is a principle. There's no compromise on that principle. It doesn't make a difference where you're born, because where you're born was not our choice. Many of us are born in the States or Western Hemisphere. That's not our choice. That's the choice of imperialism that brought us here, but we are the same people. And therefore, when it comes to ending the oppression and exploitation of Africans in Africa as a diaspora, it means that we must liberate the land from those who exploit it. That is, first and foremost, a struggle internal to African people because there are Africans who want to exploit African labor and Africa's resources for their personal benefit. Those people exist and they existed before Europeans got to Africa. But at the same time, the power relationships between Africa and international imperialism, particularly Europe and the United States, is one where the, the, the leadership of the African continent are puppets. They do not make the decisions on the economic and political realities of the African continent. If it were not true, Africa, Africa would not be in Africa. Because the United States would not allow an African military to come on its shores to talk about defending it. won't happen. But because our leadership are puppets of imperialism, they open up the, uh, the African continent to uh, imperialist intelligence agencies. They open them up to military. They open up to multinational corporations and banks, et cetera. Right? That is within the context of, the, of, of our modern realities. But this struggle goes back into ancient times. And, and so, therefore, Pan-Africanism seeks to alleviate this problem, I would say, on two levels. Again, it seeks to alleviate the exploitation of one human being by another. And that will address the question of women oppression, oppression of students, elderly, the disabled, et cetera. There is no exploitation. Right? And then that cannot happen without the the unification of the African continent, which also at the same time means the destruction of, uh, of capitalism and imperialism, because if they lose Africa, capitalism is finished. And that is the objective reality. 
And so the primacy of Africa means that even though we may be in another part of the world, be it in Haiti, be it in Jamaica, be it in, in Colombia, be it in Cuba, be it in the United States, that our fight in these areas cannot be divorced from the ultimate struggle to liberate Africa as one. Because under that condition, we will be free. Cuba struggles today because it is now, it, it, it remains under attack by international imperialism. It is a socialist country, meaning that there is, no, there, there is not exploitation of, of, of one human being or there's a struggle to eliminate any form of exploitation of one human being over another. That is the principle of that society. But the people of Cuba still suffer because imperialism still exists and capitalism still exists. And so a way for, for, for those of us in the diaspora to liberate ourselves from the exploitation and oppression that we are confronting, we must fight hand-in-hand with our brothers and sisters on the African continent to assure that there is one unified socialist Africa. We don't need 50-some-odd presidents. We need one. We don't need all these militaries. We need one. We, we, need, a, we need a plan uh, economic development for Africa that addresses the, the material and, uh, and spiritual needs of our people. Our people are some of the poorest on earth, but Africa is the richest continent on earth. Contradiction is clear for all to see. So that's what it means when we talk about the primacy of Africa. Our land is Africa. And until Africa is free, as Nkrumah said, the, the, the African man and woman scattered throughout the world lacks a national homeland. That's, that, that has to be clear. And so that's why Africa must remain primary for African people, those in Africa and those abroad. Brother Walamu, in terms of the historical aspect of the development of the institution of African Liberation Day, I notice when you look around the world today, it's becoming popularized more so than before. But at the same time, it seems to be taking different different aspects of different forms of its historical origin. For example, some groups who talk about African Liberation Day, they say only been in existence for 60 years. Some say 65. Others say even less than that. Not only that, but at the beginning, it, it talks about freedom and liberation. Today, a lot of times we look at this institution that they call African Liberation Day, and they reduce it just to African Day. So I'm just wondering in terms of, for the APRPGC, why have y'all defined African Liberation Day, its history, as having a 65th anniversary versus others who say it's less? Why do y'all still call it liberation when others have taken liberation out? Um, how do you maintain the integrity of the real history, the true history, of this institution? Well, I think, again, um, a Pan-Africanist, and so I, I think it's important that we have to qualify kind of like your question. We are in Kuma Isterias, and Nkuma played a critical role in the pre-independence movement in, in, in Africa, and afterwards, uh, between 19, well, let's say it this way, the Berlin Conference happened in 1884-85. Uh, 
some 16 years later, the first Pan-African Conference was convened in 1900, so 16 years. And so the, the, the struggle for Pan-Africanism from a international Pan-African basis, we, we can look there. It did not take long for the Africans who were removed from Africa to recognize that their, their freedom, uh, it was death directly connected to the African, uh, the, the, the liberation of Africa itself, the emancipation of Africa. And then Nkrumah, uh, an African born in Africa but went to school in the United States, um, was one of those Africans who uh, born home but came this way and was introduced to a lot of these ideas, particularly with the uh, Honorable uh, Marcus Garvey Universal Negro Improvement Association because they were, the UNIA was mass. It was, it was mass. It was at the level of the masses that recognized that uh, they wanted a uh, homeland in Africa where there was an African government to, to, to represent their interests and, and needs. Um, at the same time, you had a um, scholar, bourgeois kind of scholar, that that's what he did uh, with W.B. Du Bois, who assisted with the organizations of Pan-African Congresses leading up to the 1945 Congress, of which Nkrumah and George Padmore and, and, and others were there. And, and, and for the first time, African soldiers and workers and, and youth were, were, were at the meeting. And, uh, and they came out of this meeting uh, recognizing, one, the need for mass organization, and, and two, uh, for the unification of Africa, three, anti-capitalism and imperialism. And, and so they moved from that. And the need for a national independence, national independence meeting that they were going to organize around the, the borders of the microstates as a way to, to defeat uh, colonization inside of Africa, and that was done. And uh, but one of the differences in that, because this fact again is a Pan-African Congress, is that there are those who came out of the the uh, the the, the, uh, the Congress that were fighting for Pan-Africanism. They just weren't fighting to 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 liberate the the, the, the territory that was colonized by the country. For example, Ghana was colonized by uh, Britain, but in, in Kuma saw the necessity of the unity of the entire continent, and so from uh, from 1957 forward, he incorporated as much as, as I guess, as he could uh, Pan-Africanism within the context of developing the, the nation-state of Ghana. Uh, and in the course of that, he uh, and others organized the first conference of, uh, of independent African states uh, in Accra in April of 1958. And uh, out of that 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 meeting, uh, a Africa Day, Africa Freedom Day was established on eighteen uh, April fifteenth, nineteen fifty eight. So it comes out of this the struggle for Pan-Africanism. It comes out of the struggle for the unification of the African continent, and it comes out of the struggle to 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 defeat imperialism in Africa and develop social societies. That's where. African Freedom Day comes from. Uh, and then some five years later, um, 
And I think it's important to understand that the organization of African unity was a compromise for Nkrumah and Secretary, et cetera, uh, because they had founded the Union of African States uh, in November of 1958. I think it's the 23rd of November, 1958. So you'll see independent African states founded in uh, uh, April of 58, and the, the first uh, united form of the unity of African continent comes four or five months later. All right, so uh, Nkuma wrote and distributed the uh, handbook of, I mean, the uh, Africa Must Unite at the conference. The question of African unity was rejected by the OAU, except for the few uh, that, that were advocating for the unity of African continent. But most of the uh, OAU was reactionary and neocolonial, and, uh, and, and therefore the question of African unity or continental unity was not something they, they agreed to. All right, so Pan-Africans, I mean, the African Liberation Day has a, its own history. We didn't create the history. We just followed it. And, uh, and the history says that uh, Africa Freedom Day was its first expression uh, due to armed struggle and intensification of, of, of the African Revolution in Africa. Uh, the concept of liberation came into play, so Africa Freedom Day now, then became African Liberation Day. And, uh, and, and so that's what it is. And so when we talk about organizing an African Liberation Day, uh, it is about the liberation and unification of Africa under socialism. That what that's what it is. And you have to understand that the enemy the enemy's job is to, is to create confusion. That's their job. Our job is to is to clarify confusion and to educate, but the enemy's job is, is to create confusion. And so the enemy began to also organize African Liberation Days because they saw the 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 uh, the positive response to African Liberation Day and to African nationalism and to Pan-Africanism, et cetera. They saw that, and they didn't want that to happen. So even capitalism, the AFRICOM, for example, organizes African Liberation Day under different themes, trying to spread confusion. And, uh, and of course, there are even those within our people who I wouldn't even say that it's for negative intentions, but they spread confusion because they take African Liberation Day away from Pan-Africanism. And when you do that, then you bastardize the history of African liberation there, and you also bastardize the history of Pan-Africanism. So uh, that's why the APRPGC just holds true to what our understanding of, of African liberation day is and where it comes from and what it's about. We just hold true to that. And if we were shown to be an heir, of course, we would change. But uh, to our knowledge, the, the, the making African liberation day around the question of Pan-Africanism, which includes uh, other people's struggles, whether it be in Palestine, it be in Ireland, wherever they people are fighting against uh, injustice, that is a part of African Liberation Day because the African Revolution is in solidarity with all just struggles worldwide. It makes no difference. Principles that govern our revolution uh, put us in harmony with revolutionary struggles internationally. And uh, that's my comment there. Brother Wadamu, can you respond to this question? You've got about less than three minutes. I noticed the APAL PGC has always incorporated in their African Liberation Days the issue of honoring Ho Chi Minh and Malcolm X. Why? Uh, it, 
A, their birthdays are around African Liberation Day, and uh, all honor to the Vietnamese people for their defeat of U.S. imperialism and French imperialism in Vietnam. Their contribution to world revolution stands for the little country that it is. It, it is tremendous, and and so we always have to honor uh, the, the 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 leadership of the uh, Vietnamese Revolution, particularly led by uh, uh, Uncle Ho or Ho Chi Minh. And, and of course, Malcolm was a Pan-Africanist. Uh, at his death, uh, un, 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 unwavering revolutionary for African liberation and the liberation of African people. He was born May 19th, and uh, and of course, he is another that uh, come from the streets, working. No, nah, he wasn't. He was lumping. He was. He was. He was a hustler, and uh, and so we will always honor Malcolm for his contribution to revolutionary struggle. Um, he, he was a Pan-Africanist, and we honor him for, for, for his revolutionary work. So that is my comment there. And historically, when APIPGC has done the African Liberation Day, they have always made Palestine and Nakbar Day an intimate part of it. Can you speak to that? Why? Yeah, I, I, I would say that, uh, again, Kwame Ture is a... Uh, is one of the ideologues and the practitioners of the African Revolution that we look to. Uh, and coming out of SNCC, SNCC was probably the first in the U.S. at least to uh, to come out against Zionism and the solidarity of the Palestinian people. So that, I think that even when we were APRP, that was an integral part of our ideological training was to be anti-Zionist because anti-Zionism is anti-imperialism and to be in solidarity with those who fight against imperialism and Zionism. And in this regard, the struggle against Zionism is led by the Palestinian people because Zionism occupies their lands. Um, and so uh, the Nagba day is the day in which the illegal and immoral uh, occupation was validated by the United Nations. Um, and, and so it is, it is a catastrophe, and we will always be in solidarity uh, with the Palestinian Revolution, and we will always be anti-Zionist because Zionism is racism, Zionism is genocide, uh, and Zionism is an enemy of all oppressed people. That's, that's why we incorporate and, and will always uh, hold on to the uh, Palestinian Revolution and our solidarity with it. And on that note, we got less than four minutes, Brother Walamu. I'll give you one minute to make your final um, remarks or your final goodbye to the listening audience and friends and supporters of the AAPRPGC and the Institution African Liberation Day. Your final thoughts from GC to the world. Yeah, one minute. What's your statement? Uh, we just thank everyone for taking the time uh, today not just in terms of APRPG, but for Africa and for African people worldwide. Uh, as the APRPGC, we're here to salute you. We are servants of the people, and we are here to serve you in whatever way that we can with our limited resources, but our hearts are open to the mass of our people and to, and to do whatever we can to advance the African Revolution, whose objective is Pan-Africanism, one Unified Sources Africa. Again, if you have any interest in the APRPGC, uh, please go to 
dot a dash a a p r p g dash g c dot org and uh join us because again we we are small and we are poor we are just committed to the african revolution for the rest of our lives and that we will do and we thank you very much uh we will see you uh this time next year at african liberation day but we hopefully that we will work together during the course of the next year uh, to make that African Liberation Day bigger and better. And uh, we thank you. And list your website again. They can reach you on what website? Uh, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Aprp-gc.org. Thank you. We'd like to thank Brother Wally Mukita for being the presenter for this year's theme as it relates to African Liberation Day and under the banner of the AAPRPGC. The theme was Pan-Africanism, Raising Class Further in Africa and the Diaspora, Fighting for One Unified Social Africa. Also, there are other Africans active, African Liberation Day activities coming up. Join us tomorrow on the same station. There will be a special program on Alice from 7 to 9 p.m. here on Africa on the Moon. And on the 31st, there will be a program with Brother Bob Brown, Perry Roots, God Create No Slaves in the Womb. Please join us at 8 to 10 o'clock. So put that down. Tomorrow from 7 to 9, that's on the 28th. And the 31st, God Make No Slaves in the Moon with Brother Bob Brown. We are, we are very honored. We are part of a collective with the APRPGC and PA Roots as we put on this year African Liberation Day. You know, Africa on Moon comes on every Sunday at 7 p.m. You know, make sure you put that down, join us, spread the word. And one of the things we just wanted to say to you, and this is our motto, without information you cannot think and without organization you cannot think clearly. We attempted to give you information so you can think, and we attempt to give you organization so you can think more clearly. So you have choices now. You can't say you didn't know about this. So, again, happy African Liberation Day. Happy Palestine uh, and Knockback Day. We'll see you tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and we'll see you on the 31st at 8 p.m. Come back to the station, spread the word. Africa will be free, unified, and socialist. This is Brother Africa, and this has been Africa on the Moon with the AAPRPGC. We thank you for allowing us to come to your home. You'll find some time to know where you are, but not where you want to be. Just take your time, really pass yourself, have a little bit of faith in you. You'll find, you know, and then you don't. You'll find that you feel it, and then you don't. It's only the beginning.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.